Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Directors Club podcast. I am your host, Jim Laskowski, and with me today are two of my very favorite Chicago film critics. Uh, the last time they joined me was actually with for two of my favorite directors, one being a two-part Martin Scorsese episode and the other being Paul Thomas Anderson when we recorded that last episode in this very same room. The master hadn't even come out yet. Can you believe it's been that long? Uh, <laughs> so first up, we have the one and only Steve Procopi, Welcome back, Thank finally. You very much. I know. It's long overdue. And I can't believe that was more than 10 years ago. That's scary to think about. <laughs> I think we'd just tell- seen the master trailer at the time. Didn't you tell me at some point that that was the most listened to? Is it remain the most listened to? Or uh, There's been a few more. Okay. I like I your Kubrick, Kurosawa, Bergen. Okay. Yeah. And of course, one of the many people responsible for turning me into um, the movie freak <laughs> that I am. I know. Don't, you don't blame me. <laughs> um, and he deservedly has two great podcasts of his own now on the uh, Radio Misfits Network. It's an honor to welcome back Nick DiGilio. Thanks, man. Great to have you Thank again. Thank you. I'm uh, glad to be here. Yeah. We also recorded under in a very different environment uh, for the Scorsese episode, if you recall. Uh, yeah. We don't need to talk about that. Yeah, we were, we, were at that, we were at that radio station that no longer exists, as far as I'm concerned. It's a car wash now. Yes, it's, exactly. Yeah. Well, before we begin, let's just catch up with how things are going with you, since, you know, uh, well, it was really great to see you at the last Chicago Critics Film Festival. Um, it's great to be anywhere. <laughs> yeah. After the couple of years I had, yeah. Yeah, I know. So, it's been a rough patch, but... It was, yeah. um, you know, tell people about your terrific new shows that I'm, I'm um, happy to, to so subscribe to. So the two to. podcasts, I know it's competing. It's a competing network. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry I'm not on your, <laughs> oh, va- no, no, on, no. On your vast network. It's, no, 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 no. It's, it's um, not, a, not a competition. We're, we're, we're sharing the love. The one podcast is the Nick D podcast, and it's um, it's twice a week, uh, Tuesdays and Fridays, uh, new episodes. And it's as close to what I used to do at the car wash on my overnight show, uh, bringing back a lot of the regular guests that I used to have covering a lot of the subjects. It's pop culture, it's life, mm-hmm. it's movies, it's TV, it's stage, it's music, it's whatever I want to talk about. And I bring with me a lot of the people that I had on my show that I really loved, um, you know, including like Dan Feinberg does TV for me and he writes for The Hollywood Reporter. Um, uh, Amy Guth, who is a writer for The Tribune, she's a regular on my show. Um, I've got uh, Keith Lipinski who talks pro wrestling with me. He's a regular. And this guy to my left, <laughs> who you just introduced, Steve Procopi, and our friend Eric Childress, who has got yes, two, like, po- two, podcasts, two podcasts on, on the on network. network. Yeah. Um, he and Steve and I review movies every other Friday yeah. on my podcast. And so that's just the Nick D podcast. My, my partner in crime on that podcast is Esmeralda Leon, wow. who did traffic for me. Uh, and we got along gangbusters. And Indeed. <laughs> when I decided I wanted to do a podcast, I was like, hey, would you, I would really love it if you did it uh, you know, with me. You're not going to get paid a dime. And she said, okay. <laughs> and so, and now we've kind of expanded and we're doing a monthly live version of the podcast at Zany's Comedy Club in Rosemont every month. Yeah, um, I'll be coming out to the next one. The next one is uh, Sven Gulli. Yay! He's my, my guest. Yeah. Um, so we do that once a month. Then my second podcast is all about Saturday Night Live. Um, and it's called That Show Hasn't Been Funny in Years, which I don't believe. I called it that ironically. <laughs> it's funny because a lot of the feedback I've been getting are people going, yeah, man, I agree with you. And I'm like, no, you clearly <laughs> nope. don't get the joke. But it's uh, I have, I've I've been watching SNL since the very first episode, and I'm not right. kidding, in uh, October 11th, 1975. And, uh, and I have this ridiculous amount of useless knowledge and trivia about SNL. 
that I thought, what the hell, like, I should do a podcast. And, um, you know, I've been lucky enough to have a few few guests that have been a part of SNL, cast members and writers and stuff, um, and, um, and been doing specific things about it. Uh, and I get deep. The, fir- the very first podcast, you actually contributed to the very first That's podcast. That's right. Yeah. The very first podcast <laughs> was entirely about the potato chip sketch. Oh, which yeah. Is this insane Will Forte, uh, John That's Solomon so sketch. Um, That's my kind of humor right there. And so I do an entire episode dedicated to that. And, yeah. and Steve, you were kind enough to uh, give me the audio of an interview that you did where you were talking to Will Forte about MacGruber. No, not MacGruber. Um, it was MacGruber. MacGruber. The movie, yeah. The movie. And um, and you mentioned the, you voluntarily I mentioned I, the potato. Well, it was it had just it had, it was had is still the same season or just right after yeah. that that season and yeah oh, it, it was a few months after that it was a few months after yeah in the same yeah and and I I just had I could not ask how it can had, you not and uh, <laughs> I mean I bet you nobody else did it who yeah. interviewed him that day but um, it was yeah I just something about that sketch just hit me and I yeah, couldn't and, and I did not know. It was a thing. Like I didn't know. I, maybe it wasn't then. It, it was not at that time. I mean, when yeah. you, you know, you when you interviewed him, it wasn't over the years. People was like, "What the fuck?" Is but this when thing? I, but I'll never forget because when I I posted a link to their interview, you sent me a note and like just in the comments on Facebook saying, "Thank you so much for asking him about that sketch." Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, "Oh, okay." Yeah. So it's not fir- just me. <laughs> my first my first episode is all about that, and then like the last episode was about. Um, the title of the episode is That Time a Seven-Year-Old Hosted Oh, yeah, SNL. the Drew Barrymore episode. And it's right. the Drew Barrymore episode where she was fresh off of E.T. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was also the episode, most notably, it was also the episode where they, where Dick Ebersol and all his, you know, all his genius decided that he was going to do a phone-in to see whether or not Andy Kaufman would be voted off the show forever. Oh, wow. And in fact, he was. It's so, anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, so the SNL podcast is up every Wednesday, and then Nick D podcast is up Tuesdays and Fridays. Yes, everybody should subscribe. It's they're Thank both you. terrific. Thank you. Uh, Steve, tell everyone where they can find your work. Um, I, I know there's some exciting events coming up at uh, the Music Box as well, so we can touch on that. Yes, I, I'm all my actual written reviews are at thirdcoastreview.com. It's a great website that covers uh, a lot of local arts, like the local alt, arts and culture, like right. theater, you know, museums, music. live music for mm-hmm. sure. Uh, and and I'm the lead film critic. Uh, and then, um, then yeah, I do, I do Eric's, Eric Childress's movie madness podcast every week, like Nick said on his, his podcast every other week. And then, yeah. And most of the rest of the time I'm just hanging out at the music box, either watching stuff or in fact, as soon as we're done here, I have to head over there for something. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I'm there, I'm there a lot cause I'm the PR manager over there doing great work. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It's, a lot of good stuff to come. It's a, it is literally a dream job. So Yeah. For yeah. sure. I'm going to try to come out to the uh, Robert Zemeckis. Is it a retrospective? Like, what it do you is. call it? It oh, is. Yeah. I mean, it is yeah. a retrospective. It's, yeah, it's, it's everything, almost right? everything. Almost yeah. everything. <laughs> yeah. The two, two of the things we aren't playing is because there aren't even DCPs of them. They're his two most recent oh, right. films. They're just, they're streaming. Yeah. So, and then we're also not playing the Christmas Carol that he did with Jim Carrey. Yeah, that won't be missed. Uh, I mean, it's just, it might just be too seasonally <laughs> specific. So, sure, you know, sure. we are also, you we are playing Polar, Polar Express. Express though, yeah. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, well, we, yeah, we, we didn't want to bail on all his uh, stop motion or his uh, motion well, you're capture doing Beowulf, stuff. Which is yes, we are doing Beowulf. Great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Legitimately great. Um, mm-hmm. So, anyway, yeah. Um, probably, probably more because we're probably doing Polar Express mainly because there's a lot of love for Tom Hanks. So, 
Uh, but anyway, so yes, it's going to be. And then I think there's still the, the schedule has been announced. Tickets are on sale, like individual shows, and there's also a pass you can get. But um, I think there's still a couple time slots that haven't been announced yet. And those, mm. I believe, are going to be, I think they're on the, the weekend. Um, and I believe those are going to be where that we put like shorts and TV stuff that he did. and Oh, like Amazing Stories episodes? Maybe, directed, yes. I mean, I think that like it's that. like that. Yes. Yeah, I don't yeah, know if yeah. it will be, spe- it might specifically be that, uh, but I think they're still figuring oh, out. Oh, he did exactly. Tales from the Crypt too, the right? I, I, yeah. In the trailer that you guys have. Uh, all through the house is 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 in the trailer. Yes. So the the oh, Christmas right. the Christmas one that he that he directed um, with his late first wife yeah. um, mm. is is going to be shown. And yeah. So. Uh, so anyway, so I think they're still figuring out the details, but it'll probably be about ninety minutes of of that stuff. Nice. And I think they're also showing one of his early short films, like student films, maybe even in the small theater <laughs> um, at some point. Uh, because because I think on that I forget if it's the Saturday or Sunday we already have a silent film booked at at a specific time in the big it's just, I'm getting way too detailed here but <laughs> okay. I, I think it's like a two o'clock on on the Saturday or mm-hmm. whatever it is and then so we're moving we're doing like the student film thing over in the small theater um, and then we'll come immediately back I think the matinee that day is a Zemeckis and then two o'clock is this silent film and then we'll get back into the Zemeckis so can't uh, wait I know I have I literally have the schedule right over there and I just forgot to bring it over but um but I yeah just, I just put in for my tickets <laughs> I'm going to did you uh yeah pretty much everything uh, right yeah yeah I'm going to 19 films I haven't seen contact since well I mean no, I have seen it obviously at home but the last time I saw it on the big screen was when it the opening night. 97, <laughs> 1997. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah, I'm going to 19 of the 20. I just want to see that opening three. on the big screen again. Well, we're, we're playing five of them twice also, which I'm, I... Uh, I'm going yeah. to use cars twice. So, um, <laughs> I so yes. that. So it's not... So yeah, it's not... Uh, yeah, there are some some repeats. I think mainly because I wasn't sure why. And then, and then somebody told me it was because some of the time slots they thought... They deserve better, so they they could play them early, but then they're also playing them later at maybe a slightly better. And time one of them period. is one of them is I was talking to the to the guys, and one of them is um, presented by Rated Q. Mm-hmm. Is Death Becomes Her? Yes. So and that's really it's late at night and it's a right. drag show. I think it's the <laughs> opening day. Yeah. And, and then there's they thought that they wanted to show that without the late yeah, yeah. night late night stuff, so that's yeah. why they're showing Death Becomes right. Her at a different time yeah. too. So yeah, so there's different. It's, it's just, the whole thing is amazing. I just, I Jeez, I mean, if we had the time, I would just say after this, let's just do Zemeckis. Uh, <laughs> don't get me I started, do, man. I want to do a Zemeckis part two in the future. Well, do it. Yeah. Do it after the yeah. series. Yeah, yeah, that would be great actually. Because yeah. then I get to where, where see did your Zemeckis? Where did you go? To, what, what did you review up to? Uh, this geez, that was a while ago too. But my former co-host Patrick wasn't the biggest fan, so oh, there was Zemeckis? a yeah. So there wasn't a lot. Well, he's the former. He were co-host. there as four. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, he's a great guy, of course. But um, no, there was a lot of yelling between him and Eric, especially about oh, Forrest my Gump. God. <laughs> Eric well, was on that too. Oh, yeah, okay. It was yeah. It, it got it got heated. He was. <laughs> but before we dive into the master, um. I I really quickly we don't want to spend too much time on this because other people have already talked about the Oscars, but since people are curious and I haven't talked about it at all on this show, I wanted to bring it up because, uh, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I pretty much agree with Nick most of the time, <laughs> but there are moments where I'm like, wow, you really didn't like that movie, huh? 
And well, it happened to be the movie that won Best Picture. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. a lot of awards actually. Yeah. So uh, I hated it. Yeah, there was a lot of movies you didn't like this year that were nominated. Of the ten nominated Best Pictures, I hated seven. Wow. I kind of liked two, and I only loved one. Yes. And I hated seven of them. So Jeez. yeah, it was bad. I just I watched it and I went, okay, I don't care. I don't care. Banshees, Banshees got shut out, so I yeah. actually didn't care at all. I that, was that was really, the only one that it's the only movie that I thought was worthy of any kind of award. I was really surprised that Jamie Lee Curtis won. I was not. I was predicting um, Angela Bassett, like Angela Bassett was. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, based upon her her reaction, yeah. I after after Jamie Lee Curtis won the SAG. I sure, she's got it. okay. Um, yeah, that because I thought it was. I think Colin. I thought, thought it was between her too. and Angela Bassett. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, um, Obviously, Carrie Condon should have won, but yeah. Um, but no, I mean, it's you know, the show she, itself was actually okay. The show, yeah, no, the show Surprisingly, was fine. The yeah. winners all sucked, but the show was fine. <laughs> the show, I thought the show was really good. What do you think, Steve? Because I haven't heard your thoughts about it. Uh, I was fine with most of the. I, I don't have the list in front of me. I, I was kind of mortified uh, that uh, All Quiet on the Western Front won Best Score for some reason. That was the one that stood oh, out for God. me as like being. Yeah, that was bad. Um, but. <laughs> But the best I, score wasn't even nominated. The Batman was the best score last year. I, I but my favorite yeah, film of last year was Everything Everywhere All at Once. So I was obviously, <laughs> although I, 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 um, no, I mean, I, I was, I was fine with that. I, I think I, they should have spread the love a little bit to Tar and and But that's not like their job isn't to spread the love. I mean, it's yeah. not. They don't vote as a group. They vote <laughs> individually. True. So it's not like it yeah. is a conspiracy as people tend to mm-hmm. think it is. I mean, it it. It certainly is influenced by the makeup of the academy, but yeah. look, the, the the academy by all reports has never been more diverse, and they're still voting the way you expect them to most of the time. So, sure, um, I mean, not that the I think the not the winners were fairly diverse, but um, yeah, no, definitely. But anyway, it was. But I I was I was fine. I mean, I I've um, I've been expressing much love for um those filmmakers and for Michelle Yeoh and for since for for way before this movie came out so I'm I'm fine with it. I'm fi- I was fine with it. The show moved. Yeah. Uh it didn't feel as long as it as it was. No, and it didn't at and, all. Mm-hmm. I mean it was um, and it went it went 35 minutes cuz there was no yeah. nonsense. Like no. almost no nonsense. Well, I mean they, yeah, yeah. they completely the, fucked up the immemorium. They, they Yeah, that's out, like, they should just people. do away with it at this point cuz they're it's, yeah. It's wrong. And but the show itself was it was nicely paced yeah, yeah. and you know yeah. there were you know um I will say this is as much as I can't stand the Daniels in in any creative capacity <laughs> I thought their speech their both their speeches were inspiring and really sweet. Oh, yeah. Uh I'm done with oh isn't it great for short round I'm fucking done with that. I don't care. <laughs> um I love Michelle Yeoh and and it's nice that she is recognized um I she has done better work in I could name fifteen movies that she was better in, um, you know. But overall, like it was nice to see her up there because she's Michelle Yeoh, she's yeah, a legend. It exactly. was Jamie yeah. Lee Curtis. I love her. She was like my first huge crush, you know, movie crush. I've always loved her, and it's nice to see. I was happy, you know, to see her win an award. I also like the fact that, you know, uh, the actors who won, and I liked. I thought Brendan Fraser was great in The Whale. I thought Absolutely, he was um, yeah. But I also like the fact that all the actors who won were. You know, they were genre people. They were people mm. who came from genre movies, and I thought that was cool. Yeah. I was like, okay, that's cool. These people worked their ass off in genre films, low budget, you know, action or horror or, or comedies, 
and now they're getting the big shit. That's cool. I yeah. was I was fine with that. I just didn't like the movie. The only the only thing that I was rooting for the entire night that didn't have a chance of winning was Andrea Riceboro. That was yeah. the only thing I cared about. Of course. I just cared about looking at her and seeing her <laughs> and you know. And she was the first one to her feet when Michelle Yeoh won. She was the first one up yeah. uh, cheering. All first-time first nominees yeah. that won this year, too, which I yeah. thought was nice, because yeah. they're actually like yeah. not leaning on the, the stalwarts, the ones that always, like, you know, Meryl Streep. No, <laughs> well, not that she had anything <laughs> to do with it. I'm just saying, like, it wasn't those types. It was like of the Of the 23 awards that were handed out, there was only one that I wanted to win. There were 22 that I didn't. 22 that I was like, nope, don't deserve that. The only one that I cared about, the only one that won that I thought should have won was Natsu Natsu from sure. RRR. Mm-hmm. And it was yeah. the best speech of the night. The Him <laughs> yeah, singing his speech as the Carpenters, carpenters yeah. the best part <laughs> of the entire, the was the best part of the yeah. whole night. But no, yeah, I just not, I was not a fan of the stuff that was praised last year. I just, I, I actively disliked the majority of the movies that came out that everybody loved last year. I don't know why, yeah. but that's just the way it worked out. Well, I wanted After Sun. That was my top pick of the year to win movie. a lot or to be nominated <laughs> for a lot more than it was. Um, but Scal got nominated. Yeah, that's and, the, um, that was a highlight. It should have been nominated for more, obviously. And by the way, it's Mescal. I just found oh, this it. Oh, it is. Oh, is it? I've been saying this too. He did some talk shows before the Oscars, and they were. it is actually Mescal. Is it Mescal? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and I've heard oh, good to know. people like. It's also Blanchett, and I say Blanchett. Yeah. And, it's, <laughs> I, and I've seen heard people way more famous than us say his name wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. anyway. <laughs> I, I, I I mispronounce things all the time. Yeah. Um, but anyway, he let's said, get he, to. He said, uh, he said it'd be cooler if it was mescal, but it's not. It's not mescal. Okay. <laughs> Blanchett mescal. Yeah. I got that. <laughs> I'm gonna and I'm gonna mispronounce it as soon as we're done. Well, a name we won't mispronounce happens to be Paul Thomas Anderson. Still to this day, my favorite director. And well, we did get up to there will be blood for the previous episode and you guys did yes Mm -hmm. yes indeed um which brings to mind the fact that i think nick should give a little monologue in general (laughs) about the first few paul thomas anderson movies or at least summarize your feelings because i know we're in agreement that he is the best director working. i think he's the best working director today besides (laughs) robert zemeckis oddly um (laughs) but no he's my favorite uh, I think he's just great. And um, so, you know, I mean, the first movie that I ever saw that he directed was obviously was Hard Eight. Yeah. And I thought it was terrific and it made a huge impression on me. I was like, wow, this is pretty great. And and then when Boogie Nights came out, I was like, okay, this yeah. guy, you know, he's the, he's the shit. He's the deal. Um, and, you know, those two movies, like back to back within months of each other, actually. Um, Same year, yeah. Um, I was like, wow, this guy's really something. And, you know, Boogie Nights took off, got all the Oscar nominations. He was like the wonderkind of the of that time period. Um, and then, you know, the movie he followed up Boogie Nights with is, it's my favorite movie of all time. Um, it's Magnolia. And, uh, wearing a Magnolia shirt I am as wearing we a Magnolia speak t-shirt right now, yes. <laughs> um, I just thought he had balls the size of church bells to follow up Boogie Nights with that movie. Uh, and I still think it's, you know... All three hours and eight minutes of it. I love every frame of it. I just think it's magnificent and emotional and beautiful and ballsy and weird. and uh, That kind of sums them up in general. (laughs) Yeah. All the promise of Boogie Nights, I think, was met and quadrupled with Magnolia. Yeah. And then he caught shit for Magnolia. Mm -hmm. Uh, Oh, my God. You've made this, you know, this self-indulgent three-hour movie, blah, blah, blah. He's like, all right, I'm going to do a 92-minute Adam Sandler comedy next. So, (laughs) fuck you. (laughs) And he made a great movie. Yeah. uh, with, With that. 
um, which was different. Although not, you could tell it was the same, the same, you know, sensibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then took five years to do his next movie, which uh, I think a lot of people, a lot of people think is his best movie. Most yeah. people, most people think it's his best. But I think Magnolia is, but but there will be blood was his follow up, which is a movie that is extraordinary. And in those five years, uh, his style altered, uh, his storytelling became riskier and. Uh, less narrative style. It was just like, I'm not going to go to A to B to C. I'm going to go to yeah. A to D, back to E, and then to C. Um, and so it completely changed. And oddly, that was the one, the the, the less accessible than the other two, other three that he made. Or um, that's the one that brought him the most acclaim, got him the Academy Awards and all that nominations and all that stuff. We're going to talk about where he went from yes. there. But those first four films that he made. He established himself as a, a major artist with um, a lot to say, uh, a, a technician of enormous talent, mm-hmm. a great director of actors, um, and the originality in which he tells his stories and the themes that he touches upon uh, somehow sort of like speak to me personally, and I think to a lot of other people. Um, and and his he's just a very unique. He's got a very unique voice and a very and now really with these four films, like basically starting with uh, There Will Be Blood, with these four films, he's become a very unique storyteller to say the yeah. least. Like because he, he, early on he was getting all the comparisons to you know like Boogie Nights Altman. with Scorsese and, yeah, Altman. and Altman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean a lot of I mean Magnolia. I mean Magnolia is very Altman esque, and so is Boogie Nights, and and obviously that he's he he's taken a lot from Scorsese and. Yeah, all that stuff. But and you know, and his narratives were kind of straightforward. They were a little weird. They were kind of straightforward. He got a little strange in his narrative with uh, uh, Punch Punch Drunk Love, yeah, and then really weird with There Will Be Blood, mm-hmm. and then <laughs> off the charts weird with some of the movies that we're going to talk about. And For I sure. think that's one of the things that is most unique about him is like he doesn't tell a story the way other filmmakers tell a story. Yeah, at all, at all. Yeah, and and really quickly since the. <laughs> The last time we record we recorded about uh, PTA, I hadn't told this story of how I met him, and I feel I feel like a couple of people have asked me to to relay this, so I might as well. I had the pleasure of meeting him briefly when I went to New York, and it was uh, an amazing double bill. Uh, because uh, Jonathan Demi had just passed, mm. so they were showing some of his work, and he was showing Melvin and Howard and Married to the Mob. So there was a double feature going on there, and my friend Bill made sure, like you know, he secured tickets for oh, us. That's another huge influence on absolutely on Anderson, is, and yeah, and they were buds really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so the, before the movie had the, before the movies had started, I saw him just you know sitting in the aisle talking to a couple of people. So I decided, all right, I got I got I got to express my, you know, my love of his work to him directly. And I just I'm standing in line and there's um kind of an older woman in front of me just, you know, wanting to say hello and she and she goes, "Hi Mr. Anderson, I'm I'm such a big fan of yours. I really love Sex Lies and Videotape." <laughs> and and he replied with I didn't direct that one, but I wish I had. <laughs> and so I got a little closer and I said out loud, you know, um, Paul, wasn't Sex, Lies, and Videotape a working title for Boogie Nights? <laughs> and that made him laugh. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was a really nice moment. And I got to 
thank him for everything that he's done and how much I loved Magnolia and how much it actually helped me deal with the, you know, with the loss of my father. And yeah, he was so kind and so cool as you'd expect him to be. And it's one of the few times I've ever taken a photo, you know, because I'm not like Mr. Selfie autograph guy in any way, but I feel like, come on, he's my favorite director. So I had to take a photo with him and yeah. Actually, it's interesting. We can jump ahead to the master because wasn't he here at the music box? But like he was secretly in the. That's the one time booth? I got to meet him. Ah, um, well was, then you go go ahead. Um, no, it was a it was sem- it wasn't. I wouldn't call it a secret screening, but it kind of was. And the guy who was general manager at the time invited a handful of critics that he mm-hmm. just liked basically to come to come see the seventy millimeter. It was the second ever screening of the film right but it yeah. was the first public screening i think the first one it was either some sort of benefit screening or i don't i don't remember what it was exactly but it was not open to the public for sure it was like a members only thing but so this was going to be the first screening of any kind like to the the republic was there and and press for that matter was yeah. there um and i and i was there and he he didn't introduce it he didn't do a cue there he was but but i had been told he was up in the booth the whole time huh. uh with our, our friend julian the the projectionist and technical director of the theater and um and they still communicate apparently but um they so so they played it and it you know floored everybody um and i was just hanging around talking there was there were probably like 20 or 30 people just hanging out at the in the front of the building mm. um, after the screening. Yeah, I should have hung around a lot longer. And then, then he just wandered out. Yeah, like he, he had been upstairs and he finally came down and just wandered outside. And and people were respectful and cool, but we we he and I had a I, and I just I mean he wasn't going anywhere. He wasn't like rushing to get anywhere. He was trying to find out what people thought about it because it was the first time he'd actually gotten like feedback from regular people i think so yeah um so we had a very long talk actually uh about just about him in general and him i don't remember a lot of what we said um but because i was still kind of working through the film in my mind and trying to um and there was no restriction no embargo on the review uh, so I went home that night. Yeah, a lot night. of people were writing reviews early on. I got the first review of that movie up of <laughs> anyone in the world. That wow. might be the only time I ever did that. But I got, as far as I could tell, no one else had reviewed it at that point. Mm-hmm. So, and I looked. Um, and so, yeah, it was, um, and it remains my least watched of his films <laughs> to this day. <laughs> and we can go from there. But yes, he yeah. was very gracious and very cool. I did not ask for a photo. Um, but uh, I just don't do that as most of the time. Just like I know, it's tacky. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm just saying like it's just not. Yeah, I just. 
it's not even about that. It's just about like you were there at your thing as like a paying person, you know, like, and yeah. I, I just, as a critic, I try not to do that. Um, so, um, except at, you know, flashback, but <laughs> then a flashback, flashback weekend. Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, I do have a picture of me and Zemeckis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, um, so anyway, yes. So it was, so yeah, he was great. And so, so that was that that screening was kind of legendary. Um, just I mean, it was it's every every once in a while it happens a few times a year, but every once in a while at the music box, you like you feel like you're at the epicenter of the movie world that mm-hmm. day, mm-hmm. and yeah. some, that's what it felt sometimes like. for good reasons and sometimes for not good reasons. But but that day was definitely one of those days because everyone was paying attention to the reactions from that. Yeah, screening it was, it was that day. everywhere. Yeah. My head was spinning. Yeah. Never, I, I remember like, I have wow. the most vivid memory because again, like a 70 millimeter print. He yeah. was supervising the screening. Um, from what I remember, <clears throat> he actually brought a DCP of it too, just in case he thought that looked better. But then like he tested them both out beforehand. Yeah. Well, so it's shot in 65. So yes, yeah, right. shot in 65, mm-hmm. screened in 70. And yeah. that opening shot of the water from the back of that boat is like it looked like in 3D. Like yeah. I got like motion sickness from it, and yeah, I and it was like t- dizzying. And I'm yeah. like, oh my god, that's so clear. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and I and I went back and saw it again, like as soon as it opened, or um, or maybe it was, it was probably a press screening of it too. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that's still yeah to this day remains my le- least watched of his films. Well, the connective tissue for I, I mean. I guess all four of the movies for me is that it took me a second viewing to absolutely fall in love with them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was like, it wasn't instantaneous. Oh my God, I love this movie. It two, was, two of the four were instantaneous for me. Yeah. Yeah. Two of the four. Cause really the, the slow boat to China moment still makes me wonder what I'm supposed to feel. <laughs> like I don't, it was, it's more of a question mark than like, yes, I feel the emotional impact of this moment. And I still get that feeling. I still love this movie. And there's, you know, no denying it's one of the most transcendently beautiful things I've ever seen in my life. And thanks to that screening, too, I, I still feel that way. But in general, even when I watch it at home, I'm just kind of like, God, it's such a stunning movie to look at. It, and when I say it's the least watched, I don't mean it that I don't like it. I oh, just yeah. mean one of them has to be the least watched. Right. And this is it. Um, and but it, but it also. Yeah. And I watching it again recently for this. I felt, yeah, I have similar feelings about huge parts of me. I'm like, I know what it's about. Mm-hmm. I know where this story came from and what it's like a veiled representation of. Um, I know, I know, like, I, I think the performances are, I think it's one, of, I think it, it's one of my favorite Joaquin Phoenix performances. It might be my favorite Philip Seymour Hoffman performance. Um, but I don't get it. Like, I don't get what the, and maybe there isn't a bigger meaning. Maybe there isn't a deeper meaning in mm-hmm. it. Um, but I, it just, I mean, I see it's like, it's also one of the first, well, I think There Will Be Blood was really the first one, but he he sometimes tells a very linear story. And I, and I don't mean that he's bouncing around here. I mean that he, this is much more episodic. And as a result, there's a ton of unused footage for this, like whole storylines that were excised. That's true, yeah. More than maybe any other thing he'd done, certainly up to that point. Um, but it just kind of goes from moment to moment, and you're not There really are flashbacks, sure. though. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, there are, but I'm saying, like, they're clearly flashbacks. They're not like, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's, but they're not, 
like you, you can, it would be easy to excise entire sections of this movie. Um, I mean, as is evidenced by the trailer, the first trailer for the film, which features almost nothing yeah. but unused footage. So, yeah. um, and, and that began a, tr- a mini trend of that for yeah. him. But there's an extra on the Blu-ray that's like 30 minutes of deleted scenes sort yeah. of strung together. That could be its own short film. Yeah, and, and he has that on a couple of the Blu-rays where they, yeah. they doesn't he doesn't present deleted scenes like other people right. do. It's right. yeah. it's just it's done with this like. Well, it's an Easter it's an Easter egg on Magnolia. Yeah, got to find him. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, you yeah. have to find him. So, um, but anyway, so so yeah, it's it's. But it's just like there's just things about this that I'm never going to be able to penetrate exactly. Yeah, and, I feel the and same it's, way. It's a little, but I also think it's one of the most beautifully shot films mm-hmm. that he's ever done. Not just because of the seventy. I think the and composition not his DP. Uh, yeah. yeah, and, and mm-hmm. the composition is extraordinary. The colors are extraordinary. Um, the close-ups, <laughs> even the close-ups to me are like. Wow. Yeah. Like I'm, I literally get a close up of Philip Seymour Hoffman's face, and I every one of and I movies. can't stop looking at his mustache. Like you can see every <laughs> hair in his mustache, literally. And um, but then also like the wrinkles in Joaquin Phoenix's face, and like you just his posture. Yeah. Well, just, the posture's like ugh. insane. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there's things about that are are as fascinating as anything in any of his movies for me. But yeah. it just doesn't. It didn't. It didn't. I didn't connect with it there i, I mean uh, like like nick said everything in almost all of his other movies i found an entry point in your own world like something something about it and this was for mm-hmm. me i don't care about scientology i never did and um and it's i mean i think it's sort of fascinating that people are are into that and falling for it, and <laughs> and that's and and this sort of points out some of the, like crazy things they have to go through um but it it just isn't yeah I don't I don't care I don't care that much so um so that, and that's the only reason that I it, I don't yeah. fully embrace it as much as I do because I don't think he's made a bad movie so yeah oh, this this is not yeah. a bad movie at all it's just my least favorite it's become a lot of people's favorite oh like, I know yeah I mean yeah, most of the responses people, on yeah. social media were oh I love the master more than all the other well, ones I think I think a lot of the people who were responding to like you talking about this particular episode they were responding i think to this is was their favorite of the second half right of his right career. yeah because yeah, there will exactly. be blood is the one that i think most people mm-hmm. if you were at, to ask people what their favorite paul thomas right. anderson movie most people would say there will be blood yeah sharon but my partner loves there will be blood in the master and, the, and <laughs> the no most. the master would be a close second yeah i yeah. think i mean if you were to i don't know but i think from what i gather from people it's usually like there will be blood is is the one that the majority of people say is his best film and then followed closely by most people who say the master. Yeah. So I think the masters, I think it's, I think it's a great film. Um, I agree with you to a certain extent that it's not, I didn't get as emotionally involved as I have in other movies. Right. Um, that, that he's made. I mean, especially stuff like, I mean, like, well, Magnolia goes without saying Magnolia (laughs) just is a, to me is, you know, that's my, my blood, that movie. (laughs) Um, so I didn't, and, but I found it fascinating on a lot of different levels. Um, one, I just found it really weird that, you know, um, why he went with a different DP on this one instead of Elswit, who came back for uh, Inherent Vice. Mm-hmm. He was gone. I can't remember the, the the DP's name. He was the guy who shot the the, the Coppola movies. Um, wasn't he just not available? Isn't that? I mean, yeah, it wasn't Elswit, like they yeah, had so a falling out. No, no, no. Yeah, he yeah. Didn't have, they did have a yeah. falling out. After Eventually, yeah, they yeah. did have <laughs> Vice. But, um, but yeah, no, the, he went with the guy who shot the... I can't remember his name. Uh, I don't have it in front of me. But he's the guy who shot 
the three most recent Coppola films. Mm-hmm. He did the Youth, uh, Youth and Revolt, right? And he twixt. He did uh, he did that. And he, so it's that guy, and he did a beautiful. I mean, it's an incredibly, as we mentioned, incredibly beautifully shot. Name I can't pronounce. It's Miri, <laughs> Mira Mira Milhai or something yeah. like that. Junior. I feel terrible that I can't remember. Or yeah, I can't remember his name. But he yeah. shot the, those. He's a video director. He's mostly known for the video work that he did, music videos, and mm-hmm. he shot three of the Coppola movies. Now he's gone on. After yeah. after The Master, he went on. He's done a, a bunch of stuff after that. But and he's the, shooting the new Coppola movie, too, yeah, right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Uh, which I can't wait to see. But, yeah, me too. But, you know, the, and so it's shot, but it's shot beautifully, and I didn't know Ellsworth didn't shoot it before mm-hmm. the film, and then literally three minutes in, I'm like, Ellsworth did not shoot this movie. There's no <laughs> way that Ellsworth shot this movie. It's beautiful, but in a different kind of way. The framing yeah. is different. Um, it's a ragged movie in every way, and I think that that's done by on purpose. Uh, the storytelling, like the first ten minutes of the movie, is incomprehensible. <laughs> like, where are we? What is happening? What is he's humping a, a sandcastle? <laughs> a woman say he's jerking off in the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, what the hell? He's draining gasoline and drinking it, and then he's mi- what is the fuck is going on? And who is this guy? And you don't know what's happening, and that's he wants to make you uneasy. Yeah. That's what that's what Anderson is doing. Because Freddie himself is uneasy. Then you get into this world. You just see these people on this boat, and he jumps on the boat, and then suddenly he's thrust into this world uh, where, like, they try to you know brainwash people or change people. Mm-hmm. But the point of this movie is that they found someone just as fucking crazy as they are. Like they found this crazy person, this flawed, deeply, significantly flawed person, who this kind of rhetoric that Philip Seymour Hoffman's character can work on regular people, it doesn't work on this guy. He instead of you know, instead of like not arguing with the guy who calls out Philip Seymour Hoffman, he goes to the guy's house and beats the shit out of him. <laughs> and, and like this is the kind of stuff. So they've got a firecracker there, mm-hmm. and that's why Philip Seymour Hoffman is so fascinated with him. And that's why he takes a liking to him. And I think that's what the the I think he he sees himself in this guy, in yeah. this crazy guy. And that to me is what the the core of the movie is. Freddie is pure id. It, it gone, is. Gone exactly, awry. It is. And <laughs> yeah. and like I've never seen you know this guy, this you know L. Ron Hubbard kind of guy, who's very can, controlled, who can work everybody. Yeah. He can work a room full of people, but not this guy. And that's why he makes him walk to the window and walk to the wall and walk to the window and walk to the wall and completely fuck with him the mm-hmm. whole time because he knows he's got a powder keg. Yeah. Um, and it's about whether or not he, that powder keg that's inside of him can be controlled because there are times when it can't. And that's why, you know, Amy Adams comes in, the little Lady Macbeth comes in every <laughs> once in a while and does some stuff and jerks him off when he needs to be jerked off and whatever. But there's a scene in the movie where he's challenged that when they first arrive in New York, they go to like a dinner party scene and he's talking to someone about the cause. It's called the cause, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, about the cause. And this dude calls him out. And by the way, I, I can't tell you on, I'll tell you after we're done recording, but there's a Chicago um, actor, um, someone he, who you, Steve, you and yeah, I yeah. have discussed. He was there at that screening, actually. Uh, <laughs> oh, he was? Yeah, he, I think so. No. no Unless no, it's somebody else. No, no, no. This okay, is someone. Okay. No, no, no. You talking about Kevin? Yes. Okay, no, Ke- not Kevin. Not Kevin. Okay, okay, okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, this one is not in the movie. This person I'm talking about. Oh, okay, gotcha. It's gotcha. someone that you and I spoke of recently. Okay. Because you went to New York. Yes, yes. Okay. I know who you mean now. This guy got that part. He booked the part <sighs> who challenges Philip Seymour Hoffman. Okay. And the theater company he was working with would not let him out. Oh, 
They would not <laughs> let him out. Oh, man. He booked the role. He could have been the guy wow. who, who called out Philip Seymour Hoffman right. in that scene. It's John a great Moore. part. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A great part in one of the most memorable scenes in the entire movie. And one of the most intense, he calls, he gets to be called, he would get to be called a pig fuck <laughs> by Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. And anyway, this guy, mm-hmm. who now you know, yeah, but yeah. I can't say because I, I don't want to you know, mention it on the air without getting permission from this guy. But there was a Chicago actor who had that part booked hmm. and he couldn't take it because the theater company was like, uh, no, we're not going to let you. And it was rehearsals. <sighs> we're not going to let you. <laughs> they could have recast them. Oh my God. So, but anyway. Yeah. Um, but no, but it's like he meets this powder keg. And that, to me, is what the movie's about. And it's also an interesting thing because, like, it's such an unhinged movie, and the characters are unhinged. Yeah. And so I think Hoffman and you know and and Joaquin, it's the, to me the, the the movie is summed up the style of the movie, the sort of schizophrenic way that Anderson tells it and cuts it and shoots it. Um, to me is summed up in the scene where they both get thrown in jail next to each other. <gasps> mm-hmm. Such a and, good scene. <laughs> and that's a scene that to me, everything that the movie is, is represented in this five minute mm-hmm. scene. The difference in how much of a goddamn lunatic Joaquin Phoenix is in real life <laughs> and how he chooses to act as opposed to the way Philip Seymour Hoffman is there right next to each other. Yep. There's only two camera angles for the entire scene. And it showcases what a lunatic Joaquin is and what a fucking pro Philip Seymour Hoffman is. And yet they get to the same level. Mm -hmm. At one point, they're both screaming, fuck you to each other. But they get there in a different way. And to me, that's what the whole movie's about. It's about that conflicted way of telling a story that may alienate you emotionally, which it does. It does. But it's such an unusual way to tell a story, and it's hypnotic. It's a movie that you can't, like, I don't know what is going on. Uh, during half of it mm-hmm. and yet you're still like completely drawn in and it helps that you know like people like Amy Adams and Laura Dern are in this movie and you know I mean loaded like a Rami Malek young Rami Malek mm-hmm. in this thing just uh, Jesse Plemons and Jesse Plemons who yeah. <laughs> looks a lot like Phyllis well Plemons. that's what they say in the movie they say in the movie it's like yeah he's just oh yeah I can see that they say that like three separate yeah, yeah, times yeah, in the yeah. movie um, and Jesse Plemons who is now considered you know like the, the not Philip Seymour Hoffman yeah but no, I mean, I, I I did not get emotionally involved like you, Steve. I didn't. Mm-hmm. But I find the movie to be utterly compelling yeah. and really strange hypnotic is the right and word. hypnotic. And I'm never not fascinated by it when I watch it. And I never find, I always find something new mm-hmm. when I watch it. And I've watched it a bunch of times. And I, I think it's a great film, but it's really weird and it has no narrative structure whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. Like there are times it's like, what are you doing? How are you... <laughs> This is not how you tell a story. This right. is not how you tell a story. The first time I saw it, I had no idea that the the scene where Joaquin gets the phone call in the movie theater was a dream. Yeah. And it took me like a couple of viewings to go, oh, wait a second. Yeah, he even says it to Lancaster towards the end when they, f- you know, their last meeting together. I had a dream. And yeah. Well, the, the visit to the house of the ex-girlfriend. Fits into that whole category mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, and you don't because it's such a dream. Like the first ten minutes of the movie, I'm like, what? The <laughs> yeah, hell it is feels happening? like a dream. Yeah, um, and then it, you know Johnny Greenwood's score is oh. so strange and weird, and you know the notes are off, and it mm-hmm. just sounds really Dissonant, strange. Yeah. And yeah, and um, beautiful use of that. So it's a movie that that is just like it's very dreamlike, and and he just did whatever the fuck he wanted to do. Like after there would be blood, there will be blood. Um, he decided, oh, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And it's his favorite movie. It's Paul yeah. Thomas Anderson's yeah. favorite film is the, is of his, 
is the master. And I think it's because he just was like, I'm going to tell a story the way I want to tell it, the way I want to shoot it, the way I want people to act. I'm going to cut the way I want to cut. And he did whatever the hell he wanted to do. And that's why, and it's a wild film. Yeah. And, and that's why I think it's his favorite movie. And I think, you know, some of his hardcore fans love it the most because it's the most outrageously PTA movie there yeah. is. I think, I think another reason that it, and this has nothing to do with the film itself, obviously, but I think another reason that I don't often revisit it is because what's well, the last time he and Hoffman worked together? Yeah. It wasn't Hoffman's last film, but it was his last great film, I think. Yeah. Um, and that I, I've heard this story that at the rap party, uh, Hoffman was clean, had been clean for like 20 some years. And at the rap party he had his first drink. I'm not blaming Anderson. I'm not right. blaming anyone for that. But, and that's, and, and two years later he was dead. Right. So like, I, 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 that sticks in my head is like, and oddly, yeah, and them drinking which, so but, excessively but, in the movie. I know. Yeah, and yeah. I was just going to say, and oddly that is, that's, you know, and not just alcohol, like, Shit that he finds in canisters <laughs> yeah. and you know, like yeah. squeezing out sponges and you know whatever this elixir is or whatever he says. And that, yeah. yeah, no, I can understand that, but I can understand why that would that would have an effect on your opinion of the movie, Steve. It makes total sense. It, it doesn't yeah. affect my opinion of the movie; it just affects my Feeling. desire I to gotcha. watch it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh, because yeah. this was the you know the yeah. end of <laughs> the end of the uh, the beginning yeah. of the end, basically. Yeah. Well, yeah. The, the first viewing that I had of this though, um, at that screening at the Music Box, I thought the processing scene is one of the best moments. Yeah. Of any movie, maybe ever. <laughs> I was just kind yeah. of like floored by the acting on display. I think it also has one of the funniest things I've ever seen in an Anderson movie, which is the Rorschach test scene. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the deleted scenes, there's even more of it. Yeah. And right. it's still just more <laughs> yeah. of, of pussy, pussy, but it's like all but that, that stuff. Yeah. You know, that, the, the, the processing scene between the two of them is, again, um, just, it's Anderson letting them go. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. another thing that he does a lot. Like, if you, if you look at a lot of the outtakes and a lot of the stuff, like even as, as, as far back as like Hard Eight, he let John C. Riley say whatever he wanted. All of the stuff... Um, at the craps table that Philip Seymour Hoffman said was improvised by Philip Seymour Hoffman. Nah, that, that was all. That was me. all yeah. him. And so he lets everybody do that. And yeah, because he respects his actors and, and he, he trusts it, them exactly. And and great shit is found from that. I mean, yeah. Tom Tom Cruise, you know, uh, um, improvised a ton of shit as Frank T. J. Mackey, and all of these characters do that. And in the Master, more than any, like that whole prison scene, the 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 the, the scene that I'm talking about when they're in jail. Yeah. 90% of that wasn't written. That was just them doing Destroying their Destroying the toilet wasn't <laughs> right. supposed to happen. It was not written. And, and, but, like that, and he, but that's like one of the things he loves to do is yeah. to let these people, he casts them and trusts them, do whatever you think you want to do. We'll do a bunch of takes. We'll do me, and then you can do you. Mm-hmm. And he gives them the freedom to do that. And one of the reasons I love his movies so much is there is that incredible respect for the actors and him allowing them to do whatever they want to do because they're all on the same page of where they want the story to go. Yeah. Um, and so when we get to, we get to another movie here where I think that that's a weakness, uh, when we get to it in a second is that I think that like that freedom that he has in most of his movies, there's one film in particular of the four that we're going to talk about where I think that that's, that freedom is completely cut off. You're absolutely right. (laughs) (laughs) I was about to say that too. I'm like, Oh, well the next one is the exact opposite. Well, let's get to it, man. Cause, um, I think when he was promoting this movie, I think it was, um, at the film center or the Lincoln Center in New York, mm-hmm. is the Film Society at Lincoln Center? I can't remember the name yeah, I don't specifically, know. but he 
said at the time when he was being interviewed about inherent vice, of course, is what we're uh, talking about next. I never remember the plots of movies. I just remember what they made me feel. And that's kind of where I'm going with, with Inherent Vice. This movie makes me feel a lot. everything about it. I think it just captures the paranoia, the terror of this like capitalist regime overtaking the souls of so many in the form of the golden fang. Uh, a sense of love lost, never to be found. And yet it's just this insanely funny Shaggy Stoner comedy that it's profoundly sad, a little scary at times. And it, it, it sort of captures this idea that we're all caught up in you know, a cycle of escape, but that cycle is created by outside forces that ensure drugs are always gonna be there when we need them. So is this movie's like a magic trip in its own weird and wonderful way. But my first feelings of this movie were, this is a fascinating mess that I hope I can make sense of, but I also don't know if I have to, to get it <laughs> in, in that sense. And, you know, one of the reasons, too, this is, geez, what, probably after it came out, or at least when you talked with Eric about, like, favorite films of the decade, I believe, Steve, you put it at the top of your list. And yeah, when, when, I heard, when I heard that, I was like, somebody else really loves this movie as much as I do? For different reasons, apparently. I don't think, <laughs> I don't think it's a mess at all. It, it, well, no, it's, I it's mean... His it, most, it's his most structured for the, like, what, what I, Nick was saying, and it's, it's... Uh, there's almost there's very few deleted scenes from this mm -hmm. because I think he had to use everything. Um, yeah, and and it's and it is very specific. Right. It's like yeah. Anyway, go ahead. But no, I mean Pinchon is an incredible writer. Yeah, and you know the the books that I've read of his sometimes it you have to really acclimate to how he's going all over the map. I know it all comes together and it does make sense, but. At the same time, you kind of, as you're watching, like, well, what does this have to do with this? And certainly the, the, the core mystery of the film is resolved like 90 minutes in with what happened to Mickey Wolfman. We know what happened to Mickey Wolfman. And the movie continues and goes on from there. Uh, but it's it's got these like incredible needle drops, the weird asides here and there, and wonderful two shots of characters just sitting together. And having a conversation, I even think the the shot of them on the park bench, uh, Reese Witherspoon and Joaquin Phoenix, that was originally supposed to be like this big elaborate like cut here and cut there. And he said, you know what, let's just redo this whole thing and just make it about them and slowly zoom into those two characters as they're having this conversation. And I also feel really strongly about the moment with um, him sitting with Owen Wilson while they're at that party. There's mm -hmm. just like... A, a lot of a series of moments throughout this movie that really get to me, that really give me goosebumps. And this entire cast is one of his best ensembles. I know that's saying a lot. He's he's always done great 
you know, ensembles throughout his entire career. And um, Josh Brolin's final moment uh, is very memorable. I, 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 it's grown to be my favorite Paul Thomas Anderson movie because the more I go, go back to it, the more I feel watching it and the more I simply just get really um, emotionally engaged by it in ways that surprise me. I think it's, again, moment-to-moment basis. Certainly, like, yeah, if you use a beautiful Neil Young song and you have a, <laughs> two people running in the rain, that's going to work on me. <laughs> uh, but, you know, there's just things about this movie. It is kind of an enigma, but at the same time, it's exactly what I what I love about movies, watching Inherent Vice. Um Yes. <laughs> yes. It it is my favorite. I don't think I'm not even saying it's his best. I'm saying it's my favorite. Yeah, that's how that's what I'm saying. I, I'll never yeah, forget. That's Maybe, my favorite. I don't know if this happened to you, Nick, when the day before the press screening, which was gonna be in thirty five at the at the Lake Street, yep. we got the DVD screener of it. Yes, yep. yes. And yeah, I was I torn. That. I'm like, do I wanna watch this? I watched it the day before. Okay, so I so I did. I did too because I'm like I have a feeling I'm going to need to see this more than once to really sure, get it. Right. For, so for I sure. watched it and I'm like, yeah, okay. And I did, I'm not going to watch it again. I'll watch it again like tomorrow. It was literally the day before, and um, I watched it again. And then there was a, a like a public screening that they let me give away tickets to, and I watched it then. Um, and I even said in my introduction to the audience, I said, okay, this one's on us. Go see it again, though, because you're going to want to. If you like it, you're going to want to see it again. Um, Because you're not going to understand everything the first time. Nope. And that's I'm sure that's kind of a daunting thing for an audience to hear going into something. But um, I I was and I could tell right away it was it was different because because the language was so specific. And as much as um, as Anderson loves his actors and wants to give them that freedom. I think he might love Thomas Pynchon a little bit more. Um, mm-hmm. And Pynchon was there. He was, and, or no, he wasn't there. But he talked to him all the time while they were making this movie and asked him, what do you think about this? How do you think we should handle this? And supposedly he's in the movie. There, I know. <laughs> well, supposedly he is, and then supposedly he's not. Right. But, but anyway, um, I think there are ways that the actors are free in in the way they give their performance, they just can't stray from the dialogue very much. Mm. I think there is a there is a thing when when um, Joaquin Phoenix is in that little massage parlor thing at the beginning with Hong Chow, and then the pussy thing. He, yeah, he goes he goes down that hallway and he gets clocked by a bat. He does a spin with yep. like a little move. I'm like, okay, that you can't direct that. That's mm-hmm. just right. like a weird. And when he's walking to the police station and the the sight gag of him getting kneed yeah, by yeah. a cop and knocked over, he's, um, he's good at doing. Are, he's like good at every doing time we see Josh Brolin, he's doing like weirder and weirder shit. And I'm like, you can't. That's not something. That's on the page. That's just something the actor want. Like, is it, that's the way they're expressing themselves because they can't go off book too much. So, mm-hmm. I, there, there are like wild performances in this thing, and um, but it's just not in the way we're used to seeing in his films. And it did take me a little while to like kind of get used. But man, the writing is phenomenal. Like some of the expressions they use here <laughs> are so so strange and specific and. And I, I heard the way he wrote this, the way he adapted it, was literally he just took the book and typed it and into yeah. his computer mm-hmm. and then just went and started, like, you know, fine-tuning it's, it and changing except it. Except for the ending. It's a very faithful adaptation. Yes, right. And so, so I I mean, I, I, I was – and this was like – this is one of the – well, was it? Yeah, kind of the first time he really had his choice of who he could put in his movie. Like, this is like one of the – 
most impressive like all star cast that he's ever had. Mm-hmm. And um, and this was just an, I maybe he maybe they wanted him to do that. Um, although this was wait this was. Warner Brothers, right? Was this his first with Warner, Warner Brothers? Brothers yeah. yeah, so he he bounces around the studio. Yeah, because yeah, because yeah, the other one was Weinstein, right? Uh, yeah. Masters Weinstein. Masters so, Weinstein. Yeah, so maybe Warner Brothers wanted him to like maybe class. Phantom like, Thread was mm-hmm. universal. Yeah, I think Robert Downey Jr. was originally supposed to be. He cast. was. Oh no, he was for sure. And yeah. it's weird because he didn't like uh, Anderson didn't want him. He wanted Joaquin Phoenix again. And at some point, he just. Said uh, they they made up some story about Robert Downey Jr. not being available. He was available. He just didn't want to use him. Um, and I, no, I don't think they, it was a slight toward Downey. I think no. it was just that he really wanted to get back. But it's such a different performance from Joaquin Phoenix. And I love how he's like. In some scenes, it seems like he's barely awake and he's saying these like incredible things and keenly aware. He's like he's he's the like the smartest guy acting the dumbest in like anything and. Um, yeah, I, I just, and, and yeah, after like the second and then definitely the third time seeing it, I got, I got the story straight. Like I yeah. figured out how everything connected and where everything, and it all like, but there's just up. so much. Oh, I know. And <laughs> it took me, it took me a couple, a couple, a couple watches to realize that Joanna Newsom's character isn't really there. She's not, yeah. she's, she's not a, like a person. She's not, she's, she's not a ghost, but she's. Well, okay. In the scene with in the flashback scene where they are like with uh, Shasta and the Ouija board, she's in that. That's real. But I, she went away after that. And every time we see her in this movie, it's all in his head. Mm. Um, it's all because no one else talks to her. Even in scenes where there's other people, like at a table. He's the only one talking to her. Well, she no disappears when, when well, they're in the car I mean, together. There's obvious yeah. moments like that. But then I thought, okay, maybe that's just that one scene. But now mm-hmm. I watch the movie. No one else talks to her except in that flashback scene. And I'm like, okay, so she was a friend of his. And she and she was kind of like this voice of reason for him. Um, and then, and, and, and like obviously in the book, she's also our narrator, which right. also gives it a way that maybe she's not. She's something bigger than the movie. She's mm-hmm. something other, sort of outside the story a little bit. Yeah. Um, but I love that character. Like I, 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 I love adore that character. character. <laughs> I, and I love. I remember again in the trailer. I remember she records like a a narrative, a narration for the trailer that isn't in the movie. Um, some of the some of the lines are there, but this is definitely a newer recording. And again, he used mostly footage that was not in the movie for that trailer for that first trailer. But. Um, yeah, it took me a couple watches. I'm like, I don't think anyone has addressed her directly or even mm-hmm. like bumped into her or like moved around her or anything. Yeah. It's very carefully um, kind of choreographed how how she is involved in every scene. Yeah, and sometimes she just pops up and then disappears. Like that's mm-hmm. those are the more obvious moments. But um, yeah, I I mean, I, 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 you know, and I just and then, you know, I, I saw this movie so many times when it was in theaters and because I, I was obsessed with it. I really was. Yeah. I feel um, like I've become obsessed with it over time. Yeah. And just watch it again. I haven't seen it for a, probably a couple of years now and I watching it. I was yesterday. I watched it again because um, I wanted that to be the freshest one in my head. And I was like, man, there's still things here. I did not pick up yeah. on. Mm-hmm. And um it's just it, it, it's not even like clever little things that he's trying to like squeeze in like Easter eggs or it's just like 
lines that even even actors that I and I thought in my head I'm like I think that was Hong Chow in that movie that was so far yeah. before she was like known um and I, that I that I was starting to doubt whether it was her or not and mm-hmm. I'm like oh no that's definitely her um yeah I I I mean there's, it's just a and and, and the, another thing is that um Martin Donovan has a, a smaller oh. role toward the end of this movie that yeah. is it's one of the like most normal. It, it's it's almost like an invasion of normalcy for. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I the one time, I I visited the I was on the set of the first Ant Man in Atlanta for two days, and he was he's in that movie, um, and they didn't need, tell us he was going to be there. Um, I didn't even know he was in the movie when we were there, and when I saw him. And we had uh, like we just had moments where we could like kind of mingle a little, and I'm just like, oh man, you like, were so good <laughs> in that movie. Um, and I was I've been a fan of his since like the Hal Hartley yeah, Hal days. Hartley so days. like, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I was like so excited that he was there, and um, but yeah, I, I mean, I I, I don't try to think if I've I think even when I got to meet Eric Roberts, I talked about this one. Um, oh, his yeah. scene is so good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's. I mean, just, it's just. It, the, the, I mean, it's. It, it's hard. To, it's hard to say. It's. It's a collection of some of the most interesting characters I think that I've seen yeah. in one of his movies, and there's a lot of competition <laughs> for sure in his movies. So the scene with with Joaquin and Jenna Malone might be the hardest. I laugh. I mean, just his reactions, like even when she's like, and he had this heart on. He's like, yeah. Like just like, but his really reaction, simple. like when he shows, she shows the picture, the picture, the picture. Like, it's what? amazing. And again, like, did he? I, I don't think he really did that in front of her. I think that's we're supposed to just see like inside his brain for a split second. <laughs> but oh my god, yeah, it's so funny. It is. Um, and Brolin, my god, throughout yeah. the whole movie, just phenomenal. He's the he's the star of the movie. <laughs> in a lot of ways, um, but he but he is because he actually has like a an arc in this mm-hmm. movie. Like yeah. he, his Involving character his goes through a and, lot. Yeah, yeah. His character goes through so much in this film. Um, yeah, no, I, 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 I just kind of got and even, it's one of those things where you're just like anticipating the next scene. And, and then by the time you realize it, it's over, like it just fly. And it's one of his longest movies. Like, um, so yeah, I, I, I adore this movie. I, I find it endlessly fascinating. Um, Anyway, yes. Yes, well, I've seen Nick's ranking of Paul Thomas Anderson's movies on uh, Letterboxd, which you should all follow. And I I, I fear we feel a little differently in terms of... A lot. I think it's by far his weakest movie. By far. Like, by leaps and bounds. And every time I watch it, I like it less. Interesting. And I watched it yesterday uh, for this, and I found myself not liking it. So I'm not going to watch it ever again, because I don't want (laughs) to like it less... Um, but every time I watch it, I find more stuff in it that I think is not good and is a mistake. Um, and yes, he is completely uh, loyal to the to, to the to the story mm-hmm. to a fault, I think, to a massive fault, to the point where his personality is not in this movie. Hmm. It's not. Uh, there are parts of it that are the James, the, the Josh Brolin, Brolin stuff. stuff for sure. There are moments that why, and you know, Joaquin, I, I didn't mention this when we were talking about the master Joaquin Phoenix is, is to me, um, an actor who I run as hot and as cold as possible hmm. because there are movies noticed, that I yeah. love him in yeah. like the master and movies that I fucking hate him in like Joker and sometimes both in the same, which is the case of inherent vice. Cause there are things in it that I like that he does. And there are things in it that I can't stand. 
He does um, a lot of mumbling, which a lot of people complain about. Yeah, I mean, I didn't like the reaction with the with the picture. I didn't think that was funny. I hmm. like that, and that's not mumbling. That's just a choice that he made. I didn't. I mean, I like the the getting hit on the head. I like the physical stuff that he does in it. Um, but uh, my problem with this movie is that I think that Paul Thomas Anderson was so um, in love with Pynchon and 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 I think intimidated by the material that he just did not put his personality in this movie. Hmm. Uh, doesn't feel like a Paul Thomas Anderson movie to me, except in spurts. Um, and I think there's too much of the. I don't like the narration. I don't care about that character. Um, there are, are moments in it that I thought were like weird and beautiful and wonderful. Uh, but for the most part, I was just watching it going, okay. And it, here's the, here's the thing for me. Uh, I, th- one of the things I love about Paul Thomas Anderson as a creator is, is, is his right, well, his own voice. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Is his voice. His voice is very not in this movie. It's mm-hmm. not in the way you guys talked about it in the way the actors act, except for moments here and there. The only consistent, um, very Paul Thomas Anderson-like performance in the movie is Brolin, and that's why it's the best thing in the movie. Um, Martin Short is amazing oh, yeah, in the Martin film. Martin Short, Short is yeah, the best sure. thing he's ever done in a movie, as far as I'm concerned. This and is a big Eric picture. Ro- <laughs> Eric Roberts has Eric Roberts has a, that, uh, has a wonderful scene. And again, there are a lot of yeah. talented Gentleman Malone rules. I mean, the cast is great, and they have all great... Mm-hmm. Oh, my, oh my God, no, nobody mentioned Catherine Waterson, mm-hmm. who's who's amazing in it. Yeah. And her one that huge scene... breakout. The, the, you know, the whole nude scene that she does, that monologue is beautifully delivered, and it's just one take, and that's great. And again, I don't dislike this movie. I've never disliked any of his movies. Um, my my problem is that, you know, There Will Be Blood is based on a Sinclair book called Oil. It's based on that book. It's inspired by that book. Yeah. Okay? He took Oil and he liked this character I like, this situation I like, and then he made a Paul Thomas Anderson movie out of it. In, in Inherent uh, Vice is Pynchon. It's not him. Instead of taking something and making it his own, like he did with Oil, which he took that book, took the basis of it, and he made a fucking Paul Thomas Anderson movie out of it. He took Inherent Vice, and he did uh, a literary job of bringing it to the screen without his personality. Hmm. Uh, The needle drops are great. The music is all great. Like I said, a lot of the performances are, are, are good. I really liked it the first time I saw it. The second time I saw it, I liked it. Meh. And in every time since, I've di- I've found more things in it that I just don't buy and I just don't care about. Um, wow, and, that's wild because I have the opposite. And in watching experience. it, in watching it, in watching it yesterday, I was just like spent most of my time going, "Yeah, I was right about mm. this, and I was right about." This. And to me, it's it is the least Paul Thomas Anderson movie that he's ever made. Hmm. Um, much more faithful to the material, which is not in his voice. And I want to hear, and I want to see, and I want to feel Paul Thomas Anderson's voice. I don't want to hear another author's voice when I watch a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. So that's that's my issue with it. You know, like what he did with oil, you know, and, and the master is not based on anything else. It is based on reality and it is based on some some of the stories are taken. Yeah. Like Jason Robards told him a lot of Navy stories when they were on the set of Magnolia and they all ended up in the master. And obviously, it's based on L. Ron Hubbard mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. But it's his own thoughts. It's his own voice doing that. He, like you said, he took this book mm-hmm. and he put it into his computer. I don't want that. I want what he did with Sinclair. That's what I want. I want Paul Thomas Anderson to take somebody's material and make it his own. And he doesn't do it except for swatches. So that's my problem with the movie. But it's a goddamn good movie. So that's, of course. that's the thing. I think it's a good movie. I just in, 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 the, in the ranking of Paul Thomas Anderson, to me, it's a bunch of levels below his other stuff. Hmm. 
You know, that uh, it's interesting. You brought up the Catherine Waterston scene. I think what's fascinating about, again, this is about performance more than writing, but the two times we really spend time with her, the very first scene where she's introduced and then that scene where she's seducing him, she's a different person in both. Like, and and, it, and that's when you finally realize, oh, this is what she's really about. She's much more... I mean, you kind of tell she's being a little manipulative the first time we meet her. Oh, yeah. But then mm-hmm. you really get what yeah. she's doing yeah. the second time when she comes back after being gone. And I think he even thinks she might be dead. Um, but um, I, I, that's what I mean. Like, that's where I don't like I don't I don't miss what the actors usually bring to his movies because I think they're still there. It's just in, in different in different ways. And um, yeah, no, it's all right. You can be wrong sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. I just, it, it didn't feel like a Paul Thomas Anderson movie, uh, wholly. You know what I mean? I think it's, yeah, I mean, he he's even said, like, I don't necessarily want to adapt the book word for word. I want to sort of adapt how, what I was feeling and experiencing reading the book to the screen. Well, I think that's but, what he, I think that's what he did with oil, but he didn't yeah. do that with inherent vice. And it'll be interesting if he's doing, I mean, if he's faithful. doing, if he's doing pension next, which is the if he's doing Vineland Vineland again, yeah. if he's yeah, doing yeah. that, uh, it'll be interesting to see how he does it. And, <laughs> and Joaquin is in it. So, uh, or supposedly we don't know. I, we don't know what his next project is, but that's, yeah, what that's the is. rumor. Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, I'm all for it, but I'm all, hey, listen, I'm all for him making any goddamn movie. Yeah, I don't yeah, care yeah. what it is. And, and, but, and again, I don't dislike inherent vice. I don't. I think it's a terrific movie, and absolutely, you know, better. It's 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 not one of my favorite. It's it's my least favorite um, mm. Anderson movie, which makes it better than ninety percent of the other. Like shit. Like I said, it one something has to be. So yeah. this is the one, right? And, <laughs> yeah. and but but again, even his worst movie is better than ninety percent of the shit that is out there. It's like Prince music. Yeah. Even the even the worst of it's better than ninety percent. <laughs> That's of exactly right. Sure. <laughs> yes, Paul Thomas Anderson, the Prince of Filmmakers. Yeah. yeah. Oh no, know. Prince is the Prince of Filmmakers. <laughs> yeah. I cert- I certainly is find it? myself <laughs> more moved uh, when he when he has his epiphany about you know what's going to keep him up at night and just his decision to be selfless and do whatever he can to say you know make sure that Owen Wilson gets back to his um, wife and child. I don't know. That's gotten to me more and more the mm-hmm. more I watch it. Like I just find myself really moved by that gesture that he ultimately comes to the conclusion. This is what I need to do to feel good about myself again. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's a beautiful moment. It's funny you mentioned to be able to sleep at night. I just saw Bullworth Friday night, and that's a, <laughs> it's a major part of the part of the movie because he spends three quarters of the movie and this is uh, awake. He hasn't eaten. He hasn't slept in four days. Oh, he right. has a nervous breakdown. Then finally, he sleeps. Three, three years later, Mr. Anderson surprised us once again with, um, I guess, you know, sort of a melodrama, but a, a lot of people find this, you know, very darkly comedic, but also a gothic horror tale. And this All was, true. yeah, this was one that once that 
score kicked in from Johnny Greenwood, I was just like, I actually had goosebumps all over me, just going, oh my god, this is gorgeous, this is beautiful, I want... I just want to immerse myself in this entire experience. But also, this was the arrival of someone who's gone on to become a a new favorite actress of mine with Vicky Creeps. This was definitely her breakthrough role. And Daniel Day-Lewis giving another incredible, memorable performance. But there's just something about this movie, too. The more I watch it, the more I fall in love with everything about it. Uh, And there's just no denying the impact of the mushroom omelet scene. Like, it's, again, one of my favorite moments in any Paul Thomas Anderson movie is, you know, that the opposite of the processing scene in The Master, it's mostly silent for for a good majority of that whole entire sequence. But uh, we can dive into this delicious meal of a movie because it's gorgeous, it's funny, and... I, I just can't get over how much I uh, respond to everything that goes on in this movie, including Daniel Day-Lewis's um, dinner scene with, with, with Vicky Creeps, where he just like lays into her and attacks her, but she retaliates and you know yells back at him. That's a great scene. There's, this whole movie's great. So, I mean, I have no reservations in saying this is up there with another favorite Paul Thomas Anderson movie for me. Nick, what did you experience with oh, Phantom Thread? I, <laughs> I love Phantom Thread. Yeah, I think I it's so. I think it's a masterpiece. I think it's great. I, yeah. I it, it to me of the four that we that we're talking about, I flip flop between this one and the last one we're going to talk about as my favorite of this of these four. Um, I mean, you catch me on one day, it's either going to be Licorice Pizza. You catch me on another day, it might be this. Uh, I think Phantom Thread's an amazing film. I think it, um, I think it's stunning. I think it is gothic. I think it's a horror movie, uh, and there's some really creepy stuff in it, but it's also a great uh, love story. It is, I mean, <laughs> you know the origin of why this yeah. movie was made. Yeah, because he, he got really sick. He got sick, and Maya Rudolph took care of him, mm-hmm. and he loved it. He loved it a lot, and she was like, you know, just gave him shit for that. And so it, it came from this, like, his un really uncomfortable enjoyment of having being treated like a little baby by Maya Rudolph. And Maya he Rudolph said, he said a, he, she looked at him in a way that he, she hadn't looked at him in so long. Yeah. It was very nurturing and caring. Aww. And then he's like, Oh, I like that. He's yeah. like, I got to make a movie. About that. <laughs> and, and, and you know, like right from the beginning when, when he first sees her and, you know, as a, as, as a waitress in the restaurant and, you know, she writes hungry boy, that sets up the whole, that sets up the whole yeah. thing. And that's how it um, ends too. It's also, it's also like a great movie about a really intense but also incredibly pompous artist. Um, and I don't give a shit about fashion. I couldn't yeah. possibly care less about it or what goes into it, but I found all of that stuff fascinating in this movie because Paul Thomas Anderson, when he wants to you know, show somebody doing what they love to do and creating something, nobody does it better than he does. And I don't give a shit about dressmaking, but I found all of that stuff to be compelling and interesting um, and wonderful, uh, you know. um, Yeah, you know, and all of the stuff with him looking at all the, you know, like all the dresses before they walk out and all this, and the, the, the whole process of him waking up in the morning, the whole breakfast thing like, oh, like the, it's the, the routine breakfast. the yeah. routine stuff <laughs> yeah. what you go through i mean the scene where she's like buttering her toast and it's like, <laughs> that's all and 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 um and uh, jesus christ leslie manville is unbelievable oh, as yeah. a sister in it um but it's the it's this great and, and like beautifully shot and again this is when he started shooting movies himself because he's the last right. two movies he Good shot point. himself he's got a he's got he gives a a, a credit to um lighting cameraman but that's just his lighting assistant after he and Ellswood had a 
a little issue uh, after Inherent Vice. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson was like, well, look, uh, not only am I a great writer, am I a great director, well, let me try to, you know, to, to be the cinematographer. And he kills. He's yeah. a great cinematographer. So now he shoots his, he, these last two films he shot. Mm-hmm. And this, Phantom Thread is a gorgeous movie. Like, the cinematography yeah. is jaw-droppingly beautiful and really moody and eloquent and adds immeasurably to the acting and the mood of the scene. And again, the acting choices in this, that's all Paul Thomas Anderson. And it's not over the top. You know what I mean? And and yes, there are scenes where clearly he allowed the actors to say what they wanted to say, but it's not like the kind of stuff that you saw like in Boogie Nights where people are going a little bit ape shit mm-hmm. or in, even in Magnolia. This is controlled sort of because this, you know, the, the, the characters are a bit stodgy. And the time period is the 50s in London, and it's about, you know, dressmakers and designers and sort of pretentious assholes. And so that tone is in is in the way the actors improvise, yeah. and they were allowed to express themselves. So to me, the strength of, of Paul Thomas Anderson when he's working with his actors is to let them know exactly what the world they are is, wh- wh- where they are, mm-hmm. and what the boundaries are, where they are. They are given freedom, but it's within this style, and it's within the way that I'm going to shoot it. And that has never been more perfect. The acting is as stylized as the way it is shot, the way it is cut, and the score, and everything. It's a, it's a movie where all of the elements come together perfectly, and and it's it's I think it's a, I think it's a perfect film. I just think it's creepy. And you know the scene with with you know where he's in bed after she's poisoned him for the, the first time when they, he doesn't <laughs> oh, know and the yet. The ghost of her mother appears. The ghost of the mother appears. Yeah. It's so oh. fantastically creepy and yeah. weird, and the way it's shot and all that stuff, and and all of the other you know like the um, the woman who who plays um, uh, uh, God I can't remember her name. She was she's the agent in uh, Oh Harriet Sansom yeah, Harris. Yes. Yeah, 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 oh yeah. my God. Uh, she's in this, and she's then she movies. she gets she gets loaded and passes out with a dress on. And there's yeah. a scene where he goes in to get the dress to get the dress <laughs> off of her, which is beautifully done. It's all and there's a lot of really funny stuff in this movie. Yeah. But funny like ugh, you know like you laugh at it, and yet there is an element of you know, there's an element of mystery and and mm-hmm. like a real gothic thriller feel to it. Um, and then the acceptance that this guy has of like, all right, yes, those are poison mushrooms. Yeah, if you want to poison I'm me, gonna okay. eat them, you're gonna poison <laughs> me, and you will take care of me, and that's gonna be our relationship. Uh, and that final shot, you know, uh, with the him in the dress, with the dress, and then the title of the film comes back up on. It's perfect. It's yeah. beautiful, and. You know, I just think it's it's. I also think it's weirdly, you know, it's about death and 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 poison and and you know being nurtured by in unhealthy ways by by someone in your relationship. I also think it's like a great love story. Yeah. Um, oh, definitely. In a very dark, twisted, fucked up way. But <laughs> I, it's a yeah. terrible love story. I, yeah, that's why I like it. That's why I love it. That's why I love it. I, just, I think I, the whole audience gasp right when like he's like kiss me before yeah. i'm sick it's like, beautiful the whole audience it's, like, a, it's a it's it, it, it is no it's a, but it's to me it's a beautiful moment yeah to me, no it's it like, is a, oh to if me you want to find too. common ground if yeah. this is how two people are going to get you know if this is a relationship that's going to be okay with these two good for them yeah. let them have this really fucked up twisted poisonous relate literally mm-hmm. poisonous relationship uh and that moment to me is oh my god it's one of my favorite moments in any paul thomas anderson movie is that i moment? agree and then I, the score kicks back yeah it's like, amazing oh, it's oh. absolutely amazing and creepy and weird and awesome yeah so i i love phantom thread i mean it's way up there on my list of favorites good to agree again <laughs> yeah. yeah no i agree i agree as well i i it is a horror film where you're not entirely sure who the monster is like mm. that's another thing that got me because it's changes as the film goes on 
I mean, you can't really try to poison someone and not suddenly go, oh, wait, wait, is she the bad guy here or is she the victim? <laughs> um, no, what I, what I remember responding to the first time I saw it was how still everything is. But instead of being still and boring, it forces you to focus on what's going on. Like you, you can't, the camera's not going to just like zip across a room and show you where to look or tell you what to feel. It's, you have to watch it. You have to watch the very subtle behavior in some cases yeah. in this film. And, um, and you know, you can't just, again, another last performance by Daniel day Lewis, last movies he made, um, so far, so far. Um, but, um, I mean, he's he's not playing someone who's particularly extraordinary or you know or well known or whatever. He's, and yet I like I loved watching him both like groom himself in the beginning. And I love watching <laughs> yeah because you know I mean you can watch him like with pins in his mouth and like you know cutting fabric and you're just like oh okay you know this guy spent like six months with a like you know yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> as a yep. like working that's, with a dressmaker he's like, he yeah. a cobbler for a yeah. while I mean so, I'm saying like yeah. he you could tell yeah. mm-hmm. I think he was a cobbler in his spare that's time but like, yeah. Yeah, but like for this he yeah. but I mean he actually like learned this shit and <laughs> and you're just like oh my god and and the other interesting thing was I know when I first saw it, I wasn't entirely sure when it took place because there are not a lot of outside cues to like give. I mean, you've you, there there's I think it's I think it's at some point you figure out it's fairly close, like post-war, like fairly close to mid-50s. Yeah. 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 Around but there. there's no other than I think at one point you see a Vogue magazine that says October 1954 on it and mm-hmm. but even that might be old you know like, like you know but you assume it's it's the new one so you're like okay so this sort of places it um but yeah i mean it's 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 almost timeless like it's one of his most timeless films like this could have happened in the 70s it could have been it like have, a guy it could have like, happened in the 18th century too yeah. the way it's the way it's shot the yeah, way it's yeah, acted yeah. it is you're right it's timeless yeah. in that in 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 that way which that, not a lot of his my, movies are some yep. of them are very decade specific yeah. and it is yeah. and it is it yeah. takes place in a specific decade yeah. but the way it's you're right cuz yeah. the style of it is like this could be anywhere. This and could even be the anytime. dresses he's making don't, aren't yeah. 50s dresses. Right. Like they are for yep. royalty, literally yeah. for royalty. Yep. And yep. and like, you know, people going to awards things. And these are like things that are going to be photographed. Um, and even the, yeah. It, so, so yeah, I was, I was kind of just fixated on, on just how, how, the, the the mood and the atmosphere almost more than what was going on in a particular scene a yeah. lot of yeah, times. I, I agree um, with you 100%. That's, yeah. I that, think that's one of the reasons it adds immeasurably to why the film works yeah. because yeah. of that spirit and that yeah. mood. mood. It's yeah. it's incredibly rich in that way. Beautiful. Um, so yeah, and, and but it made me a little nervous that because I, I did not think I knew when I saw it that he shot it, but he, I think I found out fairly soon after and I'm like, oh, are they all going to be like this now? Like, barely moving the camera and then the next movie right. is like, Ooh. like nope, guess not right. um, yeah. So yeah, uh, but no but this like and, and I will say like this movie you're right like Vicky Crepes oh I, I'm, I'm sure I had seen her and stuff before but this like I've seen her in everything since oh of like, course I, yeah. I'm She's looking for so her way, you want to follow it, by the way you know you know, we're talking about people that should have been nominated for stuff last year. Her yeah. performance in Corsage last year was yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. Or the other one. But she didn't get nominated for forgot. this either. Like, no, I, just, she did just not. Manville just, did. Yeah. And, and so mm. did Daniel Day Lewis. Right. Right. Um, 
I think the only thing it won for was costume. Costume was the yeah, only thing it won for. It was nominated for Shocking. Best Picture. I think uh, it got director. He got nominated for director, I think. Yeah. I think. Yeah, I think he did, too. Yeah, yeah. he did. But the... Um, the other thing is the and I and I do ten, I do watch a lot of documentaries in a given year about certain uh, designers yeah like that and like Guadagnino's one about uh, the shoe guy yeah the shoe guy, the shoe guy. <laughs> um, I can't remember his name by the name Guadagnino yeah. picked this as his favorite film that year I'm not surprised and, yeah, and then that and makes then, sense and then conversely. Paul Thomas Anderson was like, oh, good, because I think Call Me By Your there Name you is the best movie of this year. Yeah, you know what's funny? This is an aside, yeah. but of, of, of the four movies that we're talking about, uh, three of them were uh, number two on my list <laughs> that year. <laughs> there was like a movie that you, that, that you, well, uh, uh, Inherent was lower on my list. It was on my top 20. I think three of them were my number one. So three of, yeah, well, yeah. three of them were my number two because, uh, like in two thousand, uh, what, what did the Master came out two thousand twelve? Yep. Um, then twenty fourteen. Two thousand twelve was Flight for me. Was number of course. one. Yep. Uh, twenty fourteen. Oh, well, that was lower on my list. So yeah. twenty seventeen mm-hmm. uh, was uh, Colossal. Oh yeah. Very and personal then, movie uh, for you. Yeah. Twenty twenty one was Drive My Car. Yeah. But the, all the rest, they were all like just you know what I mean? It's like, of course. You know, yeah, and yeah, until yeah. And, and it was weird too because like they were my favorites until those other movies came out. <laughs> yeah. So But, but my, what I was gonna say about the fashion stuff was I that when I, I'd sort of forgotten this until I watched it recently was that he was sewing things into the, yeah. that, um So never cursed. Yeah, never the, cursed. Was, well, yeah. but he but even just putting like a name in there yeah. or whatever, he um I had seen this documentary a couple of years about Alexander McQueen. He used to do that too. That's hmm. like recent. He, you know, he's not alive anymore, but he did it. And that's where Anderson got the idea actually to have him have that be an aspect of what he did. And he talks about recent. how he, he's got a lock of hair, right? His mother's hair. Right. Yeah, yeah. His yeah. mother's hair in his, in his jacket in, mm-hmm. uh, in the film. It's a great, it's just a great, there, film, there's so man. many, but I mean, there's like, this is a movie about small movement, about small, I mean, but it also has some of the most, well-crafted cunning insults that I have ever heard in a Absolutely. movie. Like, and it is, and, and, the, and okay, the first time I kind of like perked up a little bit, I remember it because I, when I saw it again recently, I'm like, oh yeah, that's when I, that's when it had me is when they, that first little fight that they have where she, at the breakfast table? Uh, maybe, no, but when he, no, no, it's his even first wife, that, his, the, the, no, with the, with her, with, with Vicky. Vicky yeah, yeah. And at some point he just goes, stop. Oh yeah. He just says, stop. Yeah, like, yeah, he's yeah. like, yeah. oh, this is his. Ha- this is his yeah. world. This yeah. is not her world yeah. anymore. And and it is. It's about that sort of dynamic transferring. And he realizes because somebody calls him a baby at one point, and yep. that's you can't. How could you not? Um, yeah, she calls him a baby during their their, their big. But at fight some point, but at some point, dinner. like yeah. the baby, he's. I think that's one of the reasons he's okay with the way things end. Is because well, there's a couple ways you can be a baby, and one yeah. way is just let someone take care of Absolutely. you all the time, yeah. and so. I don't, He's you, almost you looking have, for a mother figure. You can either again. have like a tantrum every five minutes and demand everything be your way, or you can just let someone take care of you and not have to do anything. Right. And that's mm-hmm. he just decides I'm just gonna. Yeah. Once he sees that connection, yep. he's like, Let's, I'm okay. That's the whole. That's the whole. <laughs> yeah. That's the whole epiphany of the movie. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't have a lot of good things to say about men. Yeah. <laughs> but, no, but that's. But that's. But, yeah. But that's. And it's and again, and it's toxic also, masculinity as it's well. Also, things been that's another. That's another. No, that's it's that it's that element as well. But it's also about how. People who create art can sometimes just be babies and dickheads. <laughs> yeah, and 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 Paul Thomas Anderson has done that. I mean, there've been like uh, it was one of my favorite stories ever, ever is uh, about how Fiona Apple quit doing cocaine 
because she spent a night with Paul Thomas Anderson and Quentin Tarantino. Mm -hmm. And she's like, I'm never doing cocaine again because these guys are fucking unbelievable. And and, uh, so that, to me, is an indication of like these two, two of the best filmmakers on the planet. Can you imagine being in a room with those guys doing blow? I'd be like, no, man. (laughs) So that element of like artist being sort of like unbearable dickhead Mm -hmm. is present in every frame of Phantom Threat. And, And I, yeah. I just, well, some people to me, divided, it works on a million. Some levels. people divided his career between like him being like a you know like I don't want to say cokehead, but like he was <laughs> obviously doing cocaine at a, at a period of time, and then suddenly he discovered weed and he became weed dad. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can kind of see that. Yeah, you can kind. Of, I mean, like he's calm down. I think you can kind of see it, like I, because he took five years between between uh, uh, Punch Trunk and and there and will be there blood. will be blood, yeah. and there is a distinct difference between. That part, those first parts of those first three movies that he did, yeah, um, and everything after that. So I, whether it was like I'm not doing coke anymore and I'm going to do pot, okay. <laughs> so the pot movies started at There Will Be Blood, mm-hmm. and the coke movies ended at Punch Drunk. Yeah, okay, that's fine. That's whatever. What I, that's yeah. <laughs> I've heard people say that. <laughs> no, I that, kind of that, agree. <laughs> somehow that works. I don't know if it's yeah. true, but all right. Yeah, because yeah, there's a, there is a distinct moment and that stretch of time. But I mean, also that stretch of time. Personally, a lot of stuff happened to him at that time. That's you know we met Maya Rudolph at that time and yeah. broke up with Fiona Apple and changed his life and then started having kids and shit right around that time. So, you know, the style of his films changed. You know, his voice altered a little bit and that happened to artists. And he stopped doing like commentaries and he's you know, completely all which sorts. fucking yeah. kills me. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, but he's done great interviews. I mean, if you no, listen to the Mark Maron interview, it's fantastic. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. All right, the master. <laughs> I go to the movie theater, I watch it, I'm like, God damn it! He did it again, I gotta go see it again! So then, so then I go see it like three more times. And what I said publicly on this show is I think it would have been a better movie if they just fucked. I just think- <laughs> You know, that is good criticism, I have to say. It's true. You know, it, it, you know you're, but you're onto something. Um, you're not wrong. Well, it shouldn't surprise anyone that listens to my show that um, this final film that we're going to talk about is on the bottom of my list, which surprises people to some degree. Um, I remember when the credits came up when I saw this at the music box screening, I think all of us were there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I mostly thought, wow, why didn't I love this quite as much as the previous three films he's done? And I, I'm still like wrestling with how I feel about how things play out at the very end between these, between Cooper Hoffman and Alana Hyam, who are giving phenomenal debut performances in this. You know, we mentioned Harriet Sansom Harris, that entire <laughs> talent agency is <laughs> unbelievably funny and when Bradley Cooper shows up I'm 100% on board the use of a Paul McCartney song in this is one of his best needle drops ever I just I don't know for some reason I don't know if I wanted these two to get together in the end and that's just my own personal feeling about it Uh, it's very episodic which you know of course 
is very well, why? similar. Why? <laughs> why not? Why wouldn't you want them to age? That's everybody. Everybody's. I wanted them to stay friends. Some people say, but I. I wanted them to stay friends. Okay. Yeah. That's just my but, own but feeling. The, the big, about the big it. thing that you know, and, and I'm not saying this is true of you or anybody else in this room, but most, a lot of people, the majority of people, have a real issue with the age difference between. The oh two. yeah, no, I, mean, I don't at all. That it's not even remotely that an issue and the for me. Two, I, it's funny because like, even as I was watching it before all that came out and everybody's reactions were out in the world, I felt that way. But also the John Michael Higgins scenes, I didn't. They like don't them. bother me. I didn't like them. <laughs> I just didn't find them I, funny. I thought they were funny. Yeah, and, and you know, uh, the movie takes place in 1973, and that's the way people. Sure, that's the way people. And that was his justification yeah. when people yeah. were, so, you know, complaining yeah. about that. But they also did that with Tarantino's, you know, portrayal of Bruce Lee and Once Upon a Time right. in Hollywood. So yeah. I, I get it, and I'm not like you know, gonna dismiss other yeah. people's response. I can understand why. You know, look, I mean, it's, and everybody has legit feelings. If you if you feel uncomfortable about you know a 16 year old kid and a 24 or 25 year old girl. You know, I can understand that. Okay, that you know, I can understand that. I, 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 I can separate I have, movie I per, world from personal, reality, but I have a personal <laughs> connection to that because I, I get had, it. No, I get that. I one hundred percent. Yeah. So, and you also have a personal connection to the use of the Paul McCartney song. Uh, if I yes, guess. I do. Yes, I do. I used it in a play. And, yeah. Uh, um, and and uh, and you know and and I was alive in nineteen seventy three and 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 I heard people uh, the way that John uh, Michael Higgins speaks. I've heard that kind of stuff in 1973 so none of that stuff even phased me yeah um and in the 70s you know i don't want to sound like an old man i'm not that much older than you are but Mm-mm. uh uh <laughs> or you i don't think what am i 10 doing? years 10 years okay yeah. well i am older Rather. than you are then <laughs> but like in you know that you know the the fact that like a 20 20 something girl and like a teenage boy were kind of like you know romantically linked it happened you know it happened oh, a I'm lot sure. it happened to me for christ's sake right. and and so that didn't bother me. Uh, and so all of the issues that a lot of people seem to be sensitive about, none of that even fazed me. But I can understand why it would bother people. And yeah. I'm not I'm not. And I was surprised that. that it did for me because usually I can, yeah. you know, accept it. And, and by the way, nothing happens between them in this movie. Kiss we, I mean, we, but, I'm, but no, but I'm saying yeah. like, so but it's a kiss, whatever. Right. It's no, not, I know. But I agree. I'm saying like, we don't. See where it goes from there. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Um, it, it's she professes his love, right? But at the you end. know, but, but you're absolutely right. And to me, the Higgins thing is a little harder. It than, is, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, and again, I'm not, I don't. I'm not saying it's the greatest, the most. <laughs> no. I'm not saying it's. Oh my god, that's the wittiest thing that Paul Thomas Anderson has ever done. It's a cheap laugh, but I don't give a shit. I thought it was funny. It, um, but the yeah. reason it's funny is not. It's not the voice. It's that he's making fun of guys Absolutely. that have like yeah, yeah, Asian yeah. women obsessions. Exactly. Like, yeah, that's I mean, the whole yeah, yeah. point. And, that's, and that was definitely happening. Absolutely. Then especially. Yeah, and they yeah. would do stupid shit like pretend that they were Asian when they weren't and they <laughs> can't speak Japanese. You know what I mean? Yeah. But like the whole, and you're absolutely right. It all leads up to a kiss at the end. You don't know what's going to happen after that. And people were like, oh my God, it's unbelievable. They don't do anything. Mm-hmm. They have, they really are friends. But, there is that little thing. He, there's she, tension. Yeah, she, there's sho- tension she shows him. She shows him her boobs at one point mm-hmm. in the movie, but that's there's nothing huge, mm-hmm. no big deal about that. But the point is that it's not. It, it, you know, it wasn't like the film's about statutory rape because that's <laughs> no. not what happens in the goddamn movie. At people are all. very reactionary these I, days. <laughs> I, but the people but, with a bitching at me about that, I'm like, yeah, I I can't have a discussion with you about this, man. Yeah, I just can't. Yeah. So, I don't, well, what I, was it that you didn't like about it? Well, that was that was just really it. I just didn't necessarily want them two to end up together in the end. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah. It felt very episodic. And then, again, like I said early on, that's 
true of Inherent Vice especially. Yeah. But that's yeah. something that I connected and, and, with and, more. You know, and even There Will Be Blood. Yeah. The, the first, like, like you know, we're, we're not talking that? about that. That's, you guys already talked about that. But there are <laughs> episodic moments in There Will Be Blood. The whole setup mm-hmm. is, like, it jumps through time. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, you know, you're established where it takes, when it takes place at the beginning. And then at that point on, it just jumps. Right. And he does that in this, too, because it takes place over the course of a couple of years, almost. Well, any, when Bradley uh, Cooper shows up, I'm in, I'm in love with the movie. <laughs> well, and for, the, I mean, the whole, the, her driving the truck, that, all that's incredible. All that stuff. And I think the stuff, yeah. I think the stuff with Selfie is great. The, the, you know, the, the the campaign stuff, I think, is great and based on a true story. Mm. All of that stuff is great. And yes, it's episodic. But the, the, the through line is this relationship that these two people have and how they help one another within these things. And the whole, like, Sean Penn thing and the... All of that stuff. Yeah, yes, every guy episodic. in this movie is a selfish jerk, essentially, yeah. and she keeps running into them, and then yeah. she ultimately realizes, wait a minute, I, I know a guy who isn't a selfish jerk. Right. I mean, he's <laughs> young and he's kind of a dipshit. Well, yeah, got a huge, know, and he's got a huge. He's ego. very ambitious, but yeah, but <laughs> I love, I love, uh, I love this movie, and 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 um, I think it's a be- like again, like as you said, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson was his own DP on this one. Looks completely different than <laughs> yeah. Phantom Thread. You yeah. were absolutely right. <laughs> yeah. The camera moves all over the place. Um, it has a whole different color palette, mm-hmm. which it should. I mean, it takes place in 1973 um, for the most part, and it captures that time period perfectly. Um, yeah, I felt it was like yeah, a little dazed and confused. Feel all of to the it. yeah, mm-hmm. and, and very genuine. All of that yeah. stuff and all of the 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 supporting characters, the kids that he hangs out with, <laughs> are so great. The kids that help him with the water beds and all that stuff, and his brother, his little brother, yeah. his little brother is fantastic and. Um, all the supporting performances. We talked about the woman who played the agent, who was fantastic. Maya Rudolph. That audition scene is fucking hilarious. Um, uh, the uh, Christine Ebersol, uh, who was better as Lucille Ball in that movie than Nicole Kidman was the same year. Yep. Um, and you know, oddly, Bradley Cooper as John Peters. I mean, that whole sequence Unreal. is just. It is just so sustained, such hilarious laughter and suspense. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of suspense in that scene, and and I also love that, like you know, like a lot of the movies because he's, you know, a lot of his movies are about L.A., you know. Uh, oh yeah. And 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 you know, and so like I love that went during that whole truck sequence. They're in the same intersection where the frogs start falling at the, in, in Magnolia. <laughs> I love that little callback and. Um, and, I wanted you know, it to like, be weirder, though. Like I'm so used to like weird things happening, and most of for most of this movie is pretty straightforward. Oh no, there's some weird shit in the movie. Yeah. There's a, there, I think there's some weird shit in the movie. I, I mean, you know, like I mean, the whole Sean Penn thing is weird. The whole, you know, I mean, he's basically yeah. Sean Penn is basically playing. He's playing a version of William Holden, mm-hmm. and um, Tom Waits is Tom Waits playing, is, uh, is Mark Robson. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Who directed uh, uh, Earthquake and Oh, uh, right. Um, now, see, I've heard different. Uh, Guesses about who he's. I've heard Peckinpah. I've heard John Houston. Oh, right. I heard like Peckinpah I've heard too. Peckinpah was the one that came out. Peckinpah. Like, right Peckinpah. Away. You can. See, I, I think it's. I'm, I'm almost positive it's Mark Robson. That it's based on Mark Robson, who mm-hmm. uh, did. Um, why am I blanking on the war movie he did? Um, but he did Earthquake. He did Peyton Place. Um, he did. Um, oh shit! I can't remember what the. Not Force Ten from Navarone. Um, I can't remember, but he did. He did it. He did a couple of war movies, but that's who. Yeah. Physically, he looks almost exactly like. Um, but like, but that whole scene is weird. You're yeah. like, oh, well, let's go outside and we'll set up this thing. And he's gonna ride the motorcycle. <laughs> she falls off the motorcycle, and then that moment where she falls off the motorcycle and he runs to her, 
It's one of the most beautiful. I mean, there's so many beautiful moments in this yeah. movie. That, that lots of running. In lots this of movie. lots of. Run- oh yeah, come on, man! When he gets picked up by the cops and they make a mistake, they just. <laughs> I mean, that whole scene is hilarious. And, and, and also, I mean, just on the simplest of levels, this is the funniest thing he's ever made. The funniest movie that that Paul Thomas Anderson has ever made. And there's a lot of funny shit in um, in Boogie Nights. There's a lot of funny stuff. Like, oh yeah, all of the shit in the music studio is hilarious. Uh, you know, all the cocaine shit is funny in it. There's a lot of funny stuff in Boogie Nights, but and my Punch God. Glove and, and, and Punch Glove. Oh, yeah, Punch Glove. <laughs> yeah, of course, Punch Glove. There's a lot of funny stuff in that. But to me, Licorice Pizza is hilarious. I mean, it's like I laughed out loud during uh, the majority of the movie. Mm. And I loved the performances and I loved the relationship. Um, I thought the characters were really well developed and, it's, and it was, and it had that, broken narrative style. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Paul Thomas Anderson is like, I'm going to tell a story, but I'm not going to tell it the way that normal people tell narratives and go from point A to point B to point. He's going to jump all over the place. And it's structured like that. And so was Phantom Thread. Not so much with Inherent Vice. And so was Master. Mm. You know? And I love that. I love that sort of like, I am not going to tell this story the way more no, most people would tell this story. Yeah. And he was, you know... That's where the influence, I think, comes from uh, Downey, uh, Downey Sr., yeah, yeah, because like he yeah. just had that go for broke, do whatever I yeah. want kind yeah. of approach to filmmaking. Yeah. Who, so. of course, was in Boogie Nice. Yeah, <laughs> that's a YP, that's a YP yeah. not an MP. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you can tell we are PTA nerds. Uh. Um, all right, now you're talking about my head. All right, I don't know this industry jargon, YP, MP, whatever. Okay. Yeah, I mean, this was you my number one for yeah, that I year, remember that, and, yeah. and I will say, I will, I will say that I remember. And I think if your number two was drive my car. It probably was. So yeah, we I were think like, it was. I think we, yeah. we were so, talking because I think we flip-flopped on that. Um, no, I, th- I what I remember thinking at, at watching it the first time was that I think it was my first thing I said about it was this is his most accessible film, um, despite the narrative jumps. But I think it's still his most accessible because of the humor. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I also think the stakes well i i thought for most of the film that the stakes were maybe the lowest of any of his films too until you get to the end you're like no actually this friendship is the stakes and it and we don't realize how much we need it to survive until yeah. the very end yeah. like that's why yep. it hooked me and mm-hmm. i mean that it, it hooked me way before that but that's what made me go okay masterpiece there we go another one he it's did so, it again it, it, you're right i mean yeah. and the stakes and and that payoff at the end is so gorgeous yeah. like it's really beautiful like i was just overwhelmed the first time i saw it, i was like oh that's so beautiful like that final moment of the yeah. movie it's yeah. just transcendently beautiful and yeah. and and you know, and I also love the fact that these two people had never acted before. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, definitely. That's um, the, and it's they were both for those two, unbe- especially uh, Alana. Uh, Alana Haim. She's unbelievable yeah. in the movie. I hope she continues acting. I, I hope so too. Uh, <laughs> I hope so great. too. And, and 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 there's a real sense of joy in these two characters, but also a real beautiful and wonderful thing that that's. You know Philip Seymour Hoffman's kid, and that's mm, yeah. that's a real huge emotional. That also, you know, for me, like watching that movie, I was like, God, this is just so beautiful to see. This is his kid, yeah. You mm-hmm. know, in this movie, and I think Spielberg's kid is in this movie, yeah, and Leonardo DiCaprio's, DiCaprio's dad, dad is. Yeah. yeah, there's a whole bunch of like, but that's all of the Hyams are in the film. Yeah, too, like the parents as, and as the sisters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. oh, <laughs> and they're, hila- they're all they're hilarious. Great. Yeah. The parents yeah. are hilarious. Yeah. When she brings that dickhead home for. Uh, <laughs> You know, it's for for dinner. The actor, I'm an yeah. 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 You know that? I didn't realize that's supposed to that's supposed to be a young uh, Tim Matheson. That's who that's supposed to be. Is that right? Because he was in oh, that movie 
that they were ba- the the Lucille Ball movie that I don't remember the name of it, but um, wait, I have I think it the, was it Gary Getzman was oh, in? Yeah, because it's based on. By the way, for people who might not know, Gary Getzman Gary, yeah, is who yeah. it's based on. Mm-hmm. This producer and right. all the stories he and all those stories are that actually happened to him. So people who were like. You know, like oh, I can't believe this. Oh, happened. yours, that's, mine, and ours. Yes, that's yours, mine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, So yeah, he's yeah. into young Tim. Is he Madison's really? In I didn't know that. That's who that kid is oh, based that's on. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that till now. It's fantastic. Yeah. Wow. wow. There's a few. I mean, there's a yeah. There's yeah. There's some. some there's, there's a lot of people that are like. Yeah. Are, yeah. I didn't realize it didn't occur to me until a couple times in that the movie that she's auditioning for, Hyam's auditioning for, and and she's like being asked about nude scenes and stuff like that. That's breezy, right? Like that's the it's William the Holden Swift, thing, yeah. yeah the, but it's William Holden, like that, right? Yeah, and the so, director, oh, right, the director right. who she's auditioning for was supposed to be Clint. I don't, <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, it's breezy. That's the one. That's like that. Was that the, the director size, played by Ben Stiller? Like he uh, just like there for like a second? Yeah, maybe. I don't I'm pretty know. Sure, it was. but it's uh, but it's the yeah because that because that because breezy was directed by Clint. Yeah, yeah. And but the sides that they're reading from when she auditions mm-hmm. are. Almost like not word for word, but there it's like that's fucking breezy. That is definitely breezy. I, and I've seen that movie a bunch of times. I yeah. just it didn't even occur to me. No, like I just yeah. it's just yeah. yeah. But that's one of the weird things about the movie is that it is there, weird. There are all, and that play, and the and uh, the the cock of the what's it the tail of the cock tail of the cock, the cock. real place yeah. real place mm-hmm. real place um, and. You know those locations that they use are were real and and like the whole gas crisis stuff. Oh, my favorite is okay. So the Benny Safdie's character is a real guy. He was like, that, that's his yeah. name. No, that's, that's the guy's name. And, um, the real, the real guy. Right. I don't, yeah. Cause some people are ba- like, he plays John Peters and that's a real guy. Right. Like, and, and the, the Benny yeah. Safety character is real. Right. And yet like his name is like Jack Holden yes. in, the, in, the, in the film <laughs> yeah. instead of William Holden. Right, and he's right. not like, uh, Rock Robson or Sam Peckinpah. He's got a completely different name. So, mm-hmm. so, okay. Remember how we see his campaign commercial at one point and, and it's, and it looks authentic. Like it's looks, yeah. all of that is a real old campaign commercial for that guy, except for the inserts of Benny Safdie's face. But those commercials were directed by Jonathan Demi. Oh my gosh! Those were, some, those wow. were his. That's some of his earliest work. And huh. that, and so that footage is Demi. Like wow. that is, and who he we should we didn't mention he he dedicated Phantom Thread to Demi. Yeah, yeah. he did. Yes, yeah. 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 So because he, I think he, wait, is that the one? One of I think it was. I think it was Phantom Thread. The day they finished shooting is the day Demi died. And that's so right. Yeah. That's then he yeah put the dedication in there. Um, but yes, yeah, so um, he wanted. He's always finding ways to get. <laughs> Demi and his <laughs> Demi and his work. So, anyway, well, he's yeah. definitely inspired by like Demi's use of close-ups for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and just yeah, it's it's and the humanity that he brings to all his characters. He, you know, he, he cares about his actors, and certainly in in, in Licorice Pizza, there's just no denying like the there's, strength of the performances throughout. I, and 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 the stuff with with uh, Catalina Haim, it's a star-making performance. I mean, it really yeah. is for me. And all the stuff with her sisters, like, when, shut up when she's yelling at him. <laughs> and uh, do you think it's weird that I'm hanging out with him and his 13-year-old friends and all that shit? And the scene, the the, the whole extended scene with the truck and the John Peter oh. stuff, mm-hmm. when she's sitting on the curb and she looks over and, like, these dorky kids are, like, taking the gas can and acting like they're blowing it. <laughs> Screwing each other, and she's just like looking at them, like, "What am I? Why yeah. am I with these guys?" And then right behind her, here comes John Peters again, hitting on the chicks. You play tennis. That whole, I mean, you like peanut butter sandwiches. Like peanut butter sandwiches. I mean, because I think he actually used that line yeah. in real life. It, but John Peters said that he when, was from the streets. An, when Anderson, when Anderson <laughs> told him about the scene, 
He's like, I, I'm fine with all of that, except I would not have. I guess there. I guess when he is confronting uh, Hoffman's character, he in the script it said he yells at him. He goes, "I would never yell at a kid." He doesn't yell at him in like the movie. Yeah, 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 he does. Yeah, yeah. He goes, he goes, "I would hit on the girl, but I would not <laughs> yell at that kid." <laughs> yeah, and apparently those when. They did not like. They did not tell the kids that Bradley Cooper was going to play that character. So when they meet him in that scene, that's it's they, that's Cooper the first time out. they realize it's Bradley Cooper. If they <laughs> recognized him, they yeah. yeah they that was like they kept that a secret. He from just them, it, so. it, it, he's so <laughs> he's so great in it. It's yeah. just one of those. He's in I the movie. Wanted was he more in the, of him. <laughs> oh, I, I did too, but I loved it. You know what? I wanted more of him, but that's. Per- what's in it is sure, perfect. Sure, it's perfect. And but and there's a scene in the trailer that I wish was actually in the movie, and you see it during the closing <laughs> credits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Closing credits with him busting yeah, yeah, out the, yeah. the yeah. headlights and yeah. all that stuff. But the, but it's it was because that was a that was an amazing year for for Cooper because mm-hmm. he had that and he had the Del Toro movie. So oh, Nightmare yeah, Alley yeah, was yeah, that yeah. year, and like I think he should have been nominated for lead and supporting that year. I thought he was amazing in well, both. I think of people those thought movies. that was going to happen. So yeah, I, I, I was. Should have. Yeah. It should have happened. Yeah, it yeah. should happen. But no, I just think Licorice Pizza. It, it 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 does everything that a Paul Thomas Anderson movie does that we've talked about, and yet I think it's the funniest and brightest movie. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there's a lot of heavy shit in Paul Thomas Anderson's movies. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And there's, there's a, lot a sense of, of joy. And, there, yeah. In this, it's like, you know, yeah. I, I don't, I don't care that like she's nine years older than he is. I don't give a shit about that because that ending is so joyous and, and so amazing and beautiful. And you don't feel that a lot in his movies. You do at the end of like Boogie Nights has that wonderful build up to the cock scene when you know when 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 uh, Burt Reynolds is walking through the house and you mm-hmm. see yeah, everything is tied together, the, he's not going to piss in the pool, the baby, and all that <laughs> stuff. It's beautiful. It's right. like because a I lot of that. a lot of, of of Paul Thomas Anderson's movies in the in the first half of his career are about people desperately trying to find family. Mm-hmm. Uh, Magnolia is about that in spades, mm-hmm. and and that's all that Boogie Nights is about. And there's a lot of that. And you know, Heart Eight is about a guy trying to find a father. Well, there will be blood. Yeah. There will That's be a blood. huge theme. Yeah. <laughs> huge. And, 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 you know, um, even to a certain extent, the master is about this crazy dude trying to fit in, finding a family. And it's a, it's a, it's yeah. a, it's a recurring theme, but it's also like, it's, it's a, it's a dark theme that he, he explores in really sort of kind of depressing and really heavy ways. Whereas licorice pizza it never. Ha- I mean, there are moments in it that are a little like unsure and maybe a little tense. Yeah. Um. But there's never like there's never a moment that isn't cut through with joy. Like that. Like like Sean Penn riding that motor. Her on the back of the motorcycle. Her flying off. Uh. And by this asshole, you know, uh, uh alcoholic uh, actor, she goes flying off. But that then it switches focus and becomes this moment where he runs to her, yeah. and it's a beautiful moment. And then that's when that goddamn Paul McCartney song starts. Ugh, and, and it's a just, great scene. It's it's, it's just and there's yeah. so many beautiful things in it. And I'm used to more melancholy. Maybe that was it. Like yeah. I, was, I was kind of expecting. There's a little that. bit of that in it. I mean, there's but no. I just I he, he I don't know. I guess he was really happy when he made that movie because yeah. that's what it felt like to me. Like well, it was ju- that ending is just to me is just like like yeah. You, know, you, like, you can tell. Here's the thing. The film also very aside from the bigger themes, it very specifically acknowledges. The universal universal truth that the weirdest things that are going to happen to you in your life are going to happen when you're a teenager, and like and mm-hmm. and they just roll right over you most of the time. They don't no, traumatize you yeah. most of the time. They and I don't mean like the traumatic stuff. I just mean like the strangest, sometimes even the most dangerous things, especially mm-hmm. in the '70s when like you know seatbelts were optional Absolutely. and like you know all that stuff. Um, it and and 
and the fact that he has his own kids are in this movie too, or some yeah. of them are, or maybe all of them. But he's got like thirty uh, of them. He's he? got four. He has yeah. four. But I was yeah, going to say at one point I remember I remember uh, Maya Rudolph being pregnant for about six years. <laughs> yes, <laughs> they're all they're all nine months apart. Yes, uh, in age. But no, they. Uh, no, but yeah, so, so like the fact that he put his kids in this is like, yeah, this is for everybody. It's a fam- this is yeah, like, like yeah. a familial, because um, obviously the he, he was taught by Alana Ham's mother. That's I right. Think, she was his art yeah. teacher art when teacher. he was a kid. Yeah. 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 Um, I forgot about that. And, yes. and, there, and, there's a, and there is a, that he captures that time period perfectly because I, I was about the age of Gary's younger brother mm. in 73. <laughs> And so I remember all. I remember the gas crisis. I remember all yeah. of that. The like doing, you know, like calling people on the phone and like not saying anything, and <laughs> like all of that shit. And and like the clothes were perfect. And I mean, all of it. He captured it perfectly. And he's younger than I am. Uh, uh, I think Paul Thomas Anderson is like five, six years younger than I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's fascinated with that time period. Obviously, I mean, fucking boogie nights, mm-hmm. you know. Um, uh, but but like he captures it perfectly and. That sense of what was accepted in the seventies, like all that shit that John yeah. Higgins, Michael Higgins does, <laughs> and like the fact that like no seatbelts and like you you know you got a bunch of kids well, that in car, the back yeah, of a truck rolling backwards. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> that could have been totally, that could have been five dead kids yeah, very yeah. easily. And, oh, sure. and the way and and also you know the melancholy stuff I think comes out in the in the in the safety stuff. Yeah. In that section oh, yeah, yeah, of the yeah, yeah. movie. Yeah, uh, you're right. Uh, I was about right. to say, my favorite scene in the movie is the scene with the that boyfriend and at Alana. Dinner. At dinner? Yeah. Well, no, when right after, when, oh, when he's talking to her yeah, yeah, yeah. about like, that's the moment she realizes I got to get back with Gary. That's like true. I have to yeah, get back right. yep. because he's, she's like, don't let ever, don't let anyone treat you that way. Don't yeah. ever like accept that role in someone's life. That scene is devastating it is. like it is. it is and that guy i didn't i don't know the actor's name i don't either he's in yeah. a lot of shit with yeah. big directors yeah. like he's been spielberg fincher like he's been in small parts mm. but that guy has yeah. worked with everybody and yeah. he is so good in that scene and I, yeah. that scene just stands out to me is this like beautiful holy hell that is hard to hear yeah it's beautiful um yeah i love that scene. i'm sorry i interrupted you no the, no, the no, no, no. Stuff. No, the, no but that to me is yeah. where the melancholy comes you're in. right uh, that's true and again because it is kind of episodic but that part is, and that's late in the film too. And it seems know? unconnected to everything else until yeah. that moment. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. 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 So, um, but I, I, you know, it's it, and like I said earlier, depending on what day it is, I'll either say licorice pizza. Of these four, I'll either say licorice pizza or Phantom. Thread. And then back to yeah. your original point, I find it weird that this is one of his most divisive films. Like that, this it is, is the interesting one to me because yeah. it seems, like I said, the lowest stakes and the most accessible. But well, he actually thought Punch Drunk Love was going to be a big breakthrough hit, hmm. you know, because of Adam Sandler's name. But you know, it's like he thought that was his most accessible <laughs> movie. It was funny because because like. People were like I said before, like they were bitching at him because he made it this self-indulgent three and a half hour movie, and he's like, or three hours and eight minutes, blah blah blah. And then he's like, all right, cool, I'll do an Adam Sandler comedy. Yeah, yeah. And and he did. <laughs> That's his response. And just, yeah. but it's the weirdest Adam Sandler comedy of all time. <laughs> and yet there's you know there's there's funny stuff in it, but that's also a terribly sad movie. Yeah. And 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 again a you know surprisingly the, so. it's yeah. incredibly sad mm-hmm. and really has a very weird tone. I was gonna say to that's it. not really a comedy in the traditional. It's not, <laughs> yeah, but it's yeah. but there's a lot of oh, funny, funny stuff funny in funny it. Stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And, Louis Guzman. <laughs> and, and, and you know Louis Guzman, my God. <laughs> And like, and uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh yeah, shut up! Yep. The greatest shut up scene mm-hmm. ever. In the, mm-hmm. you know, he's really funny in it, and and but it's got that weird sort of edge to it, and and uh, yeah, I don't. Well, I don't know, but 
but yeah, and and but you expect that kind of weirdness from from him, and and it, and and when he's trying to make a Philip when he, Philip when he's trying to make a an Adam Sandler movie, he ends up making a weird movie. Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> but it's got the same stuff. It's like Adam Sandler goes nuts and breaks shit, which he does in every one of his movies. You mm-hmm. know. But in this movie, somehow the stakes are weirder and the tone is stranger as opposed to like him breaking something in Happy Gilmore. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yet there's that that weird sort of vibe to it. And the same thing with, with Licorice Pizza. Licorice Pizza, there is this tone, this Philip C. Philip, uh, sorry, this uh, Paul Thomas Anderson tone that while it is really, really funny, there is this sort of danger to it. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Especially, yeah, with the Bradley Cooper, like the, the truck, all that. Yeah. That the Bradley is, Cooper stuff is so, uh, it's just so funny. Yeah, I, want, I, I wanted that, more of that energy and like Harriet Sansom Harris's facial reactions in that talent agent scene. So funny in that scene. You remind me scene. of a dog. Oh, God. So funny. <laughs> and all of, the, all, of, all, of the, all of the Hollywood stuff is hilarious. Like mm, all the stuff yeah. they did, the audition scene is hilarious. The the scene where um, he smacks uh, Lucille Ball on the head and she goes <laughs> after him afterwards, all that stuff, the, you know, the handling of the kid actors, all of that shit is right on. And obviously, it, you know, Gary Gutsman is a you know it's, who it's based on, and that obviously, you know, all of those stories were taken firsthand. Yeah. Um, and he nails Hollywood perfectly. Hollywood in 1973, all that stuff, including the John Peters stuff. All of that stuff is rich and funny, and it adds immeasurably. But it's to it's it. weird. It's not like Hollywood, like up here. It's like here. It's like you know. It's the variety show yeah. Hollywood. It's like the <laughs> which were very popular then. Like, yeah. but then yeah. it's also like these sort of faded stars and faded directors. Absolutely. And like, and, yeah. And, and like this kid <laughs> pretending to be a hot shot, and he's hanging out in a place <laughs> where like a drunk William Holden sometimes goes. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, and and it's what's really funny folks. is that like after the. Um, after the film came out, you guys might not know this about me, but I happen to be kind of obsessed with uh, uh, Buzzer and the Game Show Network, and I love oh, yeah. watching. I yeah. love watching Match Game from the seventies. Yeah, yeah. And there was an episode after I saw, like almost immediately after I saw Licorice Pizza last year or the year before, where I was watching it, and Charles Nelson Riley's. What's the name <laughs> of the place? The cock, the tail of the cock. Tail yeah, the tail cock. of the cock. Okay. Where Charles Nelson Riley is like, I was at the tail of the cock last night. And it wasn't a oh my joke. God. And he was talking about being there and who he saw. And I was like, God damn, that's, that's so wild. Charles Nelson Riley is the kind of guy that would hang out in this place. Yeah. And Gary Valentine is like, Yeah, I hang out here. <laughs> where Charles Nelson Riley hangs out. But yeah, that's yeah. The, that's the kind of level we're talking you were talking yeah. about. That's well, when, exactly when Bradley Cooper, level. as John Peters says, <laughs> I'm from the streets, I was like, where have I heard this before? And it turns out Kevin Smith told a story in one of his stand-up specials about how he was going to do the do an adaptation of Spider-Man. I don't know if it was well, it was Superman, right? Superman, yeah. yes, it was Superman. And he worked with John Peters. And, oh, oh, is that where, like, it, came, that's a is whole, that where it came from? Yeah, he said the same thing to him. Yeah, he said, <laughs> "You and me, we're both from the streets." So, so yeah, oh. you should go back and listen to that, knowing what we know now yeah. about John Peters. It's He's a really, hairdresser from Hollywood. Yeah, streets. <laughs> it's a hairdresser from Hollywood. Yeah, oh. we should we should mention because we didn't talk about any of the but one of the reasons Anderson took on or took on the role of cinematographer in his movies, um, or not one of the reasons, one of the ways he, that he 
he didn't just decide to do it. He made like a bazillion Hayam videos and learned and shot those all himself and learned the craft by doing it in all those videos for them. And those are fun videos. I remember when the great videos, yeah. I Mm -hmm. I should something about Slicker's Pizza, I remember, is that uh, Anderson made 35 prints of the trailer. And sent them to just a few movie theaters That's that he right. picked yep. personally, yep. including right. the music box. Right. And he played a high end video, like either before or after it, I can't remember, but uh, one of his high end videos. And and we, I, I remember like people planned their day. <laughs> they wanted to, I mean, <laughs> yeah. we played it before another movie, but those. They people came out. Yeah. They made like they made yeah. a plan to come see that trailer. Yeah, he oh, did. Yeah. He, he, he yeah. did not just time videos. He did other. Yeah, he's done Radio a ton Radiohead. 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 Yeah. Yeah. He did some other ones, and he did. I mean, going back to years ago, he did the the oh, video. Amy Mann. Uh, and, yeah. Amy Mann. He did uh, Michael Penn. Uh, Fiona Apple. Fiona Apple <laughs> yeah, yeah, across yeah. the universe. He directed yeah, the video right. for her cover of Across the Universe. So he's done a lot of videos. He's done a lot of great music. But he did a lot of great music yeah, videos. Yeah. But you're right about like. It was right around the time he had done all these mm-hmm. all these Heim videos where he's like, well, shit, I may as well shoot. And he also had kind of a falling out. Oh, that's right. He also, he also had a falling out with in, in the midst of all of this, he did that um, Johnny Greenwood right, documentary, documentary. Yeah, music documentary. Johnny Greenwood music June, documentary, June, which was terrific. June, yeah. 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 Which was terrific. Yeah. That was mm-hmm. great, too. And he also yeah. did a, um, like an extended, I think it's on Netflix, an extended music video for the Tom York album that right. came out mm-hmm. right that was really great, too. Yeah. So and he, he did, just, he's got like he extended, do he's got extended uh, stuff. Oh well, maybe you guys. I'm sorry. I'm going back. Well, you can. Maybe you guys talked about <laughs> the extent, the extended stuff that he did for Punch Drunk. Because uh, oh, the Mattress Man. Commercial. Yeah, the Mattress Man <laughs> stuff, and he did some other things like that. He's done a lot of extras. Yeah. Extra stuff. Um, that Amy Mann video for Wise Up is like fantastic. It's part of the movie. Like yeah. it's literally it yeah. should be shown at the end of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> so when is the Paul Thomas Anderson retrospective going to happen? You know what? I actually suggested one uh, <laughs> last year. At some, I mean it. I, I don't. I don't know I, if you can get a full week out of it if you're going to show them one of it. I mean, there's only no, eight no, movies. no. It wouldn't. No, it wouldn't yeah. have even have to be. We could be a weekend. So, yeah. oh well, they're all kind of long. But I will say. I'm 99% sure we're showing at least one of his movies during our next 70 fest. And it's not one we have played in 70 before. Oh, interesting. Yes. Hmm. It is not a movie. And we have played all, most of his 70 movies, but it is one we got access to. I might even, somebody told me it's a new print, a newly made print. So it may not be like a vintage thing. Um, but I I think I told you what it was, but, um, and it's a movie that you we've we've played in the last year, but it's not we didn't show it in seventy. Right. But now we have it in seventy. Ooh. So yeah. That's exciting to hear. Yes. Mm. That'd be Ugh. in July. That's when you do the seventy, right? And then in July? Whenever Oppenheimer before July. Oppenheimer. Oh, July. God. Yeah. We're showing that in seventy. Oh, can't wait. And it's the week before. That's on a that is unannounced, but uh but I, I think every I think we're telling people just sort of <laughs> saying it. We're not like we will announce it officially when we have a lineup. Gosh, but. Nolan's another director I'd like to do it. a sequel episode on. Oh boy, yeah. No, there's just what can we say? We love Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah. I, I don't know if you, anyone could have realized that throughout the course of this conversation. I, I, he's but. one of the only directors where if if I stumble upon basically any of his movies, just flipping around. I, I can't, have I have to, to oh, just yeah. stop. Yeah. Yeah. I have to watch it to the end. But Boogie Nights, I had a real problem with that because it was on cable a lot. Even the <laughs> edited version I would watch. Like even the censored version I would watch because it was hilarious wow. how they censored yeah. it. 
It was almost it was yeah. almost like Showgirls. It's bad. Bo- Boogie Nights is the, <laughs> Boogie Nights is the one that I think I think was is the only one that gets shown with any regularity mm-hmm. on cable because Magnolia never gets shown on cable, and neither does Punch. Neither does Punch Drunk. The Master is on HBO. The Master has been on HBO a lot. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like one of the one of the most me. inaccessible movies that he's made, and that's that's been like popping up on HBO. Like every once in a while, I'll turn it on. I'm like, what the? Why is the Master? Well, isn't <laughs> two I o'clock think, in the afternoon? Isn't uh, I think Licorice Pizza? I think it's oh, on because Amazon. Or well, no, MGM. Yeah, but M, but Amazon bought MGM, so they they you can watch it for free yeah. on Amazon mm-hmm. now. So yeah. And shortly, not long after it was in theaters. No, could, Licorice yeah. Pizza was on, because I've got yeah. the, it was Epics, now it's MGM. Yeah. Or whatever it was called. Well, I mean, it was an MGM movie, right? Though, right? Yeah, so, yeah, but oh, now right, they've yeah, changed yeah. the cable oh, yeah, channel yeah, yeah. to MGM right. Plus or something. Oh, okay. And, yeah, and it, Licorice now. Pizza's been, that's another, that's been on a lot. Licorice mm-hmm. Pizza's been on a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for some reason, if you want to turn on cable, <laughs> you can watch a lot of Licorice Pizza and a lot of The Master right now. So. Yeah. Well, we usually end the show with uh, our top three picks from the director, and it doesn't have to be just from this chunk oh. of four movies. So oh, all right. Just go ahead and list your top three. I I've, never, I've never tried to rank them. Um, geez, I know. I, could I do thought it. I could we did it. it the We probably did it the first time. Oh, I'm sure we did. Yeah, I, I just can't remember now. I could do it, though. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I can go first, then. Yeah, go. Yeah. Um, I think I know what mine are. Number three is Punch Drunk Love. Number two is Phantom Thread, and number one is Inherent Vice. Wow. Okay. I know. <laughs> it's, it surprises say, me. Oh, again, these what we think are the best or our favorite? Our, fa- our favorite. Our no, favorite. Okay, yeah, I can do I'd this. I can do favorites. this. Number three for me would be There Will Be Blood. Number two is Boogie Nights. Number one is Inherent Vice. Nice. Okay. My number three is Boogie Nights. Number two is uh, There Will Be Blood. Number one is Magnolia. And number one... Is Magnolia of all time? Of all time, <laughs> yeah. That's it's your my favorite. Fa- movie. It's my favorite movie of all time. Of all time. Amen. So yeah, we could just do a whole episode on Magnolia. <laughs> I could talk for I know ten hours about that movie. I'm sure it's it's just incredible. Yeah, it breaks but yeah, my heart every hmm. time. That's yeah, the, no, one, it's, of the, I, one of the greatest final shots in movie history. Period. Oh my god. The, yeah, Claudia smiles, man. Hmm. What are you gonna do? It's beautiful. Ugh. But yeah, so yeah, I think that's I think that's the order. Yeah, Boogie Nights, There Will Be Blood, Magnolia. And it was such a joy to see Boogie Nights for the last Chicago Critics Film Festival. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Packed house, yeah. 35 print. It was great. Mm-hmm. And it was it was also amazing because, um, you know, when Philip Seymour Hoffman shows up, the entire place yep. just yeah. you that know, was amazing. went nuts and gave him, like, rapturous applause. And, um, yeah, that was really... That was really, really nice. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I went nuts because, you know, Todd shows up. He's my favorite character. <laughs> Todd Parker. He's yep. my favorite character in the entire movie. Mm-hmm. And that whole scene where he comes in and kicks the gate open. Don't uh, dance on Sundays. Yeah. <laughs> I love Todd is my favorite. And, you know, I was the only one in the theater going, yeah, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never forget this. I probably said this the last time, but I'll never forget the first viewing of Boogie Nights in a theater in Northwest Indiana. And at the very end, people in front of me had said out loud, that's the worst movie I've seen since Pulp Fiction. <laughs> okay. Like, well, if that's, that's your, that's that's your, okay, if, then, if you're judging that, then that's, that makes sense. <laughs> I was, I sat next to Roy Leonard at the screening in the, at, at, in Lake Street, at the Lake Street screening room um, for Boogie Nights. And, um, and when I, I'll never forget this because it, it was always like, you know, seeing movies with Roy 
was amazing because like I'm sure there was a period of time when like that the 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 Lake Street room and then the there was a, also a, a screening room like a 50 seat screening room on uh, on Erie, uh, the second floor in, in uh, Erie, and I can't remember Cine Cine something. Anyway, uh, Cine Center, oh, Cine Center. Okay. That was I've the the, that. the screening room there, and we in the 80s and stuff. That's where it was Lake Street and that. And I remember it was always a joy sitting in there with like you know Ebert and Siskel and those guys, but Dave Kerr and Sergio. The, God bless him. Uh, Sergio was always there, and it was always great to sit next to Roy, uh, especially for movies. You know, because Roy was yeah, Family Classics. I host Family Class. How you doing? You know. <laughs> so watching Boogie Nights with Roy Leonard next to me <laughs> was magnificent, and especially because I'll never forget this. At the end of the movie, because um, I was beside myself, obviously I was like, oh my god, this guy is the best. And and Roy goes, I'm going to get into trouble. I go, why? That was great. <laughs> You're in trouble, Roy. You're in trouble. Roy Leonard liked Boogie Nights, and he, you know, and he did. Like a lot of the listeners were like, Roy, how can you like this movie? It's about pornography. And that was the first year I called into Roy's show. Was it? With, the, with my top 10. And Roy was so excited. He's like, oh, listeners never call in with top 10s. Let's do this. And I did it. And that I said, cool. uh, Jackie Brown and Boogie Nights were my two favorites. There you go. It's funny year. because, like, Roy, my favorite, though, was because Roy retired in 1998. Um, and uh, and Boogie Nights was 97, so, you know, this was towards the end, and I had kind of, like, become a staple on his show at that point. It was right before I started doing my own show, and so people had gotten used to me because they hated me the first, like, few <laughs> years. They hated me. I was just a young punk with a, you know, and I liked the scary movies and the gory movies and shit, and then a lot of people blamed me for Roy liking stuff like Boogie Nights. They were, That's because you've been hanging out with that Nick jerk. But anyway, I'll never forget the reason. Did I ever tell you guys the reason... Why Roy retired? I think I know. You might what made him? What hit? What made I him? Hate, I think I, I know remember. which movie it is. I think I do. <laughs> I won't spoil it. But go um, ahead. Was it right. Doc Hollywood? No, 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 no. no. It was, it was 1998. Paul and Kale. 1998. And he and and he and I was like, and when he called me up to tell me that he was going to retire because he retired at the end of 1998, but he made the decision at the beginning of the year. So it was like January, February, and he called me up. He's like, I'm letting my friends know and people that I work with know that I'm retiring at the end of the year, and I'm like, oh, you are. Yeah, or it was like, I don't know, middle of the year or something like that. And he goes, yeah, I can't. He's like, I'm just going to, I'm going to retire. And he goes, I'll tell you what, man. I got to tell you, it was after, after that, goddamn, there's something about Mary. Yep. I couldn't do it. <laughs> couldn't take semen in the hair. It was like, yeah. that was it, man. So the Farrelly brothers are to blame. So mm. if you want to know why Roy Leonard retired, it's because I can't do this. There's something about Mary. There's something about Mary is the reason Roy Leonard retired. Did he see Kingpin? Yes, he did. He loved King. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> yes, Still the best Fairly Brothers movie. By far. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, guys, this was such a delight. Yeah, it was Thank great. Thank you so much you, man. for Thank having you. Thank you. for coming on. Yeah. And uh, yeah, just remind people where they can find you on, on online and on the internets and all that stuff. Uh, you can hear me uh, on WLS AM 890 uh, every Friday or sometimes every other Friday, depending on uh, Fridays on the Steve Cochran Show. Uh, I'm usually on in the 8 o'clock hour on Fridays, uh, and that's at WLS AM 890. You can go to the website and check out all my stuff is archived there. And I got two podcasts, Tuesday and Friday, the Nick D podcast featuring movie reviews with Steve and Eric, uh, and then the Saturday Night Live podcast that I do drops every Wednesday, uh, and that is called uh, That Show Hasn't Been Funny in Years, and all can be found at RadioMisfits.com or wherever you can find your podcast, so you can subscribe and like and listen and all that stuff. Please do. And Steve. Uh, thirdcoastreview.com for the regular old written reviews. And then Movie Madness podcast with Eric Childress once a week. And then with Nick every other week. Yes. Rock so, and every roll. Every other Friday, yeah. Yeah. Well, stay tuned, everybody, because the next official episode is a doozy. Because my buddy Bill, who's kind of been the guest co-host uh, out of New York, he's 
a delightful cinephile in his own right, he decided to take on the work of Jean-Luc Godard. And I don't think it's going to be a one-part episode. Because <laughs> he's interviewing a lot of different guests, too, which is really yeah. interesting. It's going to be a different format. But I'm really excited for people to hear it. Uh, I, he always brings his A-game. and then um, a lot to I'll, talk about there, I, man. I know, right? Well, <laughs> yeah. after – yeah, he was another after he passed. Just like, how do you tackle that career, yeah. you know? But, and that person. Yeah. You can leave that out of it, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's no problem. But, yeah. no. Okay, everybody. Just please visit directorsclubpodcast.com. Send me an email to directorsclubpodcast at gmail.com. And, of course, visit the Now Playing Network at nowplayingnetwork.net. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you soon. We did it! Awesome. It was fun. It's a god-awful small affair To the girl with the mousy hair But her mummy is yelling no And her daddy has told her to go But her friend is nowhere to be seen Now she walks through her sunken dream To the seat with the clearest view and she's hooked to the silver screen But the film is a saddening bore For she's lived it ten times or more